Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport, our very special edition, it's Series 10, Episode 24 and we're broadcasting live from the Mobile One Broadcast Centre overlooking the Ford Chicane at the end of the 8.5 miles that this weekend will decide who wins 2015's Grand Prix d'Endurance at the Circuit de la Sarte. Yes, it's Le Mans 24 hours. 2015, and as tradition dictates, we kick off Wednesday in terms of our studio programming with a, an episode of Midweek Motorsport. Uh, down, now, normally standing next to me, but down in the... Uh, Nissan Pit Lane, one of our Nismo Pit Lane reporters is Nick Damon. Good afternoon, Nick. Good afternoon, John. Good afternoon, everybody. And on a pack programme tonight, Nick, we have what? All the usual features. Well, that's not true, actually. Right. But thank some you. of the usual features. Uh, oh, you may still be overselling it. Usual features in some order. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. all right. I'll give you uh, that one. Uh, before we get kicked off, I'm going to leave you faded up for a bit of... Uh, Atmos oh, uh, down there. Uh, before uh, before we kick off the show in, uh, I suppose, in its fullest form, uh, we'll do a little bit of uh, of housework uh, or housekeeping. Uh, apologies for midweek motorsport absence later, says Sam Pierce. Otherwise, engage in the thrash down to the circuit. That's fine, Sam. You are you are um, certainly allowed that. Uh, sat in the campsite waiting for midweek motorsport, says Jason Gore, listening in on 91.2 FM, Mobile One Radio Le Mans. Uh, apologies for absence. We'll be forced to listen to the to another radio station, which is Drivel, says Senga Vishart. Uh, and hello to David Williams. Hello to Mark Wilkinson. Uh, still got Radio Le Mans on his car stereo. Gutted he's not going to be here for this yeah, Pete Newton, Newton says, um, oh, apologies for absence. Look, I'm sorry. Let's just accept it and move on. We can still be friends, right? I have cake. Cake? That works. Mm, that works. Cake always works. Josh Van Cleef says, have to drop the dogs off this morning and work a few hours before flying to Le Mans tonight as we have uh, going out onto the circuit. Graham Goodwin is alongside me seeing what? I think that's the Google car, isn't it? It's not the Google Maps car. Ah, is that what it's doing? Is that the Google Maps car? Everybody? It's not allowed in France, of course, because of privacy laws. Can, can you hear the, 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 the sound it makes? They've got to be very careful in France about their privacy laws. Uh, would love to listen, but have to drive to France to watch the most important motor race in the world, says Simon Hoff. Ron Wilson is spoilt for choice. It's the TT Supersport race, second race on Manx Radio TT. Decisions, decisions. Do they have a podcast? Because, frankly, I think you're all right 
if they've got a podcast. If they haven't, then obviously we have got a podcast, so that's fine. Victor Rad is here uh, around the circuit on 91.2 FM. No excuses, says Hotspur18, listening live packing for tonight's Portsmouth Khan Ferry. There by 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. Uh, and... I've got to apologise for my absence at the end of the race, says Josh Barrett. He's got to be at Snetterton. Wrong side of the race control building, says right turn lover, but listening in on FM. Uh, lots to come in. No apologies. Due to the different time zone, it's 8.30 in the evening, Wednesday, here in South Australia. Yes, very good. Good point. Uh, and a number of people saying that they are um, not apologising to us, including Adrian, Adrian Michael Reese. AMR, hello there. Um, listening to us because it's his day off from work and a lot of other people saying they are listening at work because of the change in the time zone so thanks for being with us wherever you are in the world good to have you company Uh, and let's kick off with a little bit of news all the latest motorsport news from around the world midweek motorsport uh, and we'll start with Formula One as we have Yay! our Formula One correspondent down uh, in the pit lane. Uh, it was the Canadian Grand Prix at the weekend. Uh, which absolutely. The thriller in Montreal. Yeah, the thriller on the Ile de Gilles. Oh, very good. And the, uh, the biggest talking point, of course, that came out was the controversy, massive controversy. Was it a beaver, a groundhog or something else? That was the big talking point. Yeah, there. I mean, there was a lot of... Uh, in fairness, it was moving quite quickly. And I, I have heard that Honda are starting up for engines development (laughs) I'm going to be honest here that wasn't a classic no it had two things going for it which was Massa and Vettel starting out of position yeah beyond that it wasn't a classic and who was thinking he was looking like an amateur during the race then this week well uh, it was young Mr. Fernando everything's fine I'm really happy and not grumpy and beardy at all Alonso and why was that uh, because he was told to save fuel uh, when his car was already doing really badly and he was trying to uh, actually go as, even slightly as fast as everyone else uh, and he couldn't. So basically he found out that not only is the Honda not very good, not very reliable, it's also not very good, not very reliable and very thirsty. It's got the triumvirate. Excellent. All well done. Not great news for Honda in fairness and not great news for Honda in a very public forum yeah there is nowhere to hide it's not like the old days where you produce a car that had lots of power but they would have an electrical problem which forced the comrade out of the block oh yes of course um oh i do how we long for the simplicity of those days exactly now of course you see everyone (laughs) everyone kind of knows it's the engine because that's all that's what there is you know the if you're that, you can't say, oh, it's a bad chassis, because people said, no, actually, the McLaren chassis is quite good. But more importantly, it isn't the chassis where people are breezing past you down the straight, going, do I, do I need to bother the DRS? No, it's a Honda. No, I'm fine. Um, yeah, so basically, they have made an absolute pig's ear. I mean, I think the interesting thing is, if uh, whether the engine is that much worse than last year's first-year efforts, obviously, it's not as good as last year's Mercedes, um, but given the improvements that Ferrari have made, and even they have, they haven't made very many improvements that Renault made. Probably, if this had been running last year, it would just have been bad, rather than absolutely terrible. Mm. Um, and what are they going to do about it? Think a lot more. Spend, mm. uh, I mean, this, this is the problem. They are hamstrung in the fact that they've they've obviously made some absolute fundamental mistakes, and they've only got so many tokens to spend. They don't, they don't seem to know what they're doing really. Um, Does anybody actually understand the token system? Yes. Okay. Uh, Sam. Uh, yeah. No, actually, it, it is actually relatively simple. 
if you're prepared to read three pages of A4, okay. when you've read those three pages of A4, you do understand it. You think it's stupid, but you do understand it. Mm. Uh, and at the front of the field, it was an absolute thriller once again, as we marvelled at the ability of race engineers not to tell their drivers what was actually going on in the race and get out of getting themselves into trouble. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's... The fact is that after last week's last race's uh, uh, mistake, which actually suddenly made the uh, the championship much closer than it should be, uh, Lewis Hamilton then effectively went on to prove that he is about two tenths to three tenths of a second a lap quicker than Nico Rosberg, which in F1 means he is so far ahead it's not true. Uh, and effectively, apart from a couple of tracks coming up, which Nico is quite good at, like Singapore, you really can't see. Uh, Anything other than you know, anything other than an incredible run of, of, of breakdowns. That's at least three to nil in here against Hamilton, robbing him of the championship. He's just that little bit better now, and that's all you need to be in this modern Formula. There's only two car race. If you're a little bit better than the other car, mm. you're going to win. Uh, was it only me who was thinking towards the end of that race, maybe with a couple of laps to go, that uh, either Lewis or somebody from his team should be saying, "Box, box, box for tyres." No, only joking. <laughs> That, that, I think I think it, we'd like to see that, but uh, no. Again, I mean it, it, yeah, the Ferraris, which were the second best car, they brought much vaunted power upgrade. Lost the whole thing because the power didn't work on Vettel's car in qualifying. He was at the back, and he'd be a naughty boy as well. And then Raikkonen uh, decided to have a kind of invert, had opposites day as, as children love so much, and was good in qualifying and rubbish in the race compared to the rest of the season, uh, when he'd been obviously good in the race and rubbish in qualifying. And and you know and that was really the story. The other story was you know, that. The Mercedes-powered lower-level teams did better because it's all about the power. The Renault teams, which have managed to be uh, just poor at some were just dreadful because they hadn't got much going for them. Mm. So it was, um, you know, this is a, a circuit that exposes the engine more more than anyone else. And the second most exposing for the engine is the one coming up next, oddly, which is... Uh, uh, at the A1 ring, where they yep. can't sell any tickets because the Red Bull ring, uh, the, the Austrians don't want to come and see their national team finish like ninth and 10th. Uh, here's a question, though. Given everything that we know about Christian Horner talking about the deficiencies oh. of engine, what, why, then, is Toro Rosso doing so well? They're not. But they're doing better than Red Bull. That's... that's yeah, that was a couple of races. They, they, they didn't do as well at the uh, at Monaco, and, they, and all of them were equally rubbish in Canada. Um, effectively, out of the box, the Toro Rosso was a better car than the Red Bull. Mm. Um, but obviously, the development dollars for Red Bull are cubic of what they are for Toro Rosso. So that gap is now, I think, made up and, and the gap will stretch the other way as the season goes on. But that's that's not the point. The point is that both Carlos Sainz, Sainz Jr. and uh, Max Verstappen have proven to be very capable guys. They all need, they definitely need a second year at Toro Rosso and then they'll, they'll choose one to promote up to the main team. That, that should be the concept. Uh, it was, uh, yes, indeed. Um, it, there's no Grand Prix, obviously, this weekend. No. Uh, there's no point in even attempting it because there's a, a race on here, which does mean there's an awful lot of Grand Prix Formula One journalists. Uh, Graham Goodwin is with us, not a Grand Prix Formula One journalist, <laughs> but the, an awful lot of interest being shown uh, in, in in the hospitality in the hospitality area here. Three for ourselves, Vermont. Yes. Correct. Um, so that, that's quite interesting. We'll talk about more of that as, as the week uh, as the week goes on. Um, Nick's down in the pit lane uh, as part of our Nismo pit lane team. Also down there is Joe Bradley. Uh, good afternoon, Joe. Hello, everyone. Hello, collective. 
Well, that's all working sparklingly well. Well yes. done to Bob Dawson. Uh, what's the atmosphere like? Down? It's midweek motorsport, but we're going to bring a little bit of the atmosphere uh, of the pit lane to you. I'm going to leave uh, your mic up as well, Nick, just so we can hear what's going on. What's, what's happening in the pit lane at the moment, Joe? Well, firstly, can I say, can I just say it? Is no, there's there, not time, sorry. Is there, a, <laughs> is there a better place, I can't think of any, than to be listening to the midweek motorsport show and being in the Le Mans pit lane mm. at the same time? It's just like, well, I, I, I was just actually sat on the pit wall just listening, mate, like I, I would do at home normally. While well, um, you're doing your ironing. Yeah. You're not uh, well, doing your ironing on the pit wall, are no, you? No, I'm not. No, I've, fin- I've finished that. Um, Emma Crawley is suggesting that uh, eating lunch in her backyard in very warm and sunny Darlington is a nice place to be listening to us. Hello, yep. Emma. Nice uh, to know you. Probably nice, but still no, 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 no not quite there. Not I've, quite I've lived there. in Darlington, nope. and it's it's nice, but you're right, it's not quite there. It's not quite Le Mans, no. is it? No, no. Okay. Um, Getting back to your question, though, mm-hmm. Johnny. Um, I've got to say that at this stage of the proceedings, everyone looks pretty much ready. The only tinkering that I've seen up and down the pit lane are making sure the stickers are on straight ah yes um, we've however, got donkey for that obviously yes indeed our sticker man our sticker meister um, the 22 and Nissan, thanks to stickers 4 by the way once again for our usual fantastic uh, job that they've done with our our liveries where are you where, how far down the pit lane are you then? I'm at pit out I'm at the Nissan LMP garage alright we've decided to call that not the row of war or the lane of shame that is now the innovation station at that end of of the pit lane probably a good name for it because can you wave a little bit pointing back down towards pit in see if I can see you on the camera where's the camera exactly well, it's, it's right on pit in unfortunately but I can see straight down if you step off the wall and walk into the middle of the pit lane alright oh bit of rain just hit me on the yeah. head there yes um, yeah it's right I, I think I'm getting wet is that camera uh, looking towards Audi it's looking all, no it's looking all the way looking down along the, top, the pit wall along the pit wall this is working fine. Are you standing you. in the pit there now, you. tap dancing? All right, that's that's Nick tap dancing. Yeah. yeah. I'm just being the chorus in the background. Yeah, no, we can see you. That's me. It's I've got to listen entertaining. It really is. Fabulously entertaining. Tim right, Rice will be on any minute now. Uh, I, just, I just met our favourite publican. Uh, Alan is down yes, there, is he? Yes. From the is Crooked really? Bullet. He managed to get in on somebody's team photo yesterday. He's, no, <laughs> no he's, 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 he's involved with Murphy in some way. All right, OK. I can only, I can only imagine how. Have you not interviewed him? Uh, he'll be he'll be around later. Don't worry. Uh, Sebastian Tenkat is at Turt Rouge. Lachlan Hines says I'd rather be listening to Midway Motorsport while driving an LMP round the track uh, rather than sitting in pit. Uh, should make clear by the way I was wrong. It wasn't the Google Maps car. It's the, of course it's the 3D movie car. Oh, it's the 3D they're doing, movie uh, car. They're, 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 the Le Mans 3D movie that's being filmed here. That's a good point. Well uh, made. Um, I'm afraid that weather. We don't normally do weather on Midway Motorsport, but there's a huge rain front coming up from the south from the cognac region. Sadly, it's not a cognac front coming up from the rain region. Uh, Poitiers is getting a bit of a hammering at the moment. Limoges took it earlier on in the morning. It's heading up towards to uh, an Angers and heading towards us. One or two spits and spots at uh, the moment. Uh, we'll be back down with the guys. Guys, shout up through the uh, the walkie-talkies when you, you find someone. Hello to Paul Parkin, listening from the Marshalls campsite on the inside of Mulsanne corner and hello to all of the marshals uh, of whatever colour flag you are flying uh, but obviously particularly the English language uh, speaking guys and a lot of British marshals that I know are either here or on their way down uh, more news uh, from around the place Graham you've been here across the weekend as we have the uh, Pesage the uh, 
verification technical uh, are complete and all 56 cars got through that's the first thing we should report actually it is are both the boys mics still open by yes the way? they are huh? uh, guys if you can both hear me I think we've probably got a message we want to pass back to the booth at the moment which is is happy anniversary oh yes happy so, anniversary uh, happy anniversary to John and Eve it's yes. their wedding anniversary today um, Yay. Applause from, from, the, from the cheap seats down on the left-hand side Not that they bought us anything, Eve. I noticed that. I didn't get anything. We've, not we've, not yeah. a bag of crisps. We nothing. Brought, we bought ourselves. We this. bought our, our love, our effort, our very being. <laughs> I can see Eve Not touched. selling that. Not selling that to me at all, no, Nick. All right. well, just uh, report to the collective. Eve is touched, as she has been repeatedly since the marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but let, let's be honest. Less frequently now. Um, hey, you'd be surprised. <laughs> oh, and happy birthday, Declan, as well. Yes, it's Declan's birthday as well, at the race till. Uh, and by the way, you can tweet us. Uh, we have a new member of the uh, Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM team. It is... Uh, the RSL Studio computer, which is at RSL underscore studio, it seems to have a mind of its own. It was tweeting last night when none of us were here, That's which it. is a bit of work. It's it it self-awareness. It, it has. Is, oh, is, dear is, me. Is going, yes, John, I am tweeting without you. I've taken over the studio, John. I can't. I'm afraid I can't fulfil that requirement. Nick. I'm sorry, John. Illogical. I'm sorry, Dave. This is... Uh, and I have to say thank you very much to Gary Dodds of uh, GFD Computers up in Sunderland, and he's on the web if you um, if you go and look for him. Absolutely brilliant stuff to get our studio computer back up and running, and indeed um, he that is powering the whole station at the moment. Um, so if you want an artificial intelligence machine, um, don't speak to Nick, obviously. Um, and then <laughs> GFD Computers. No, you've got real intelligence, Nick. You have well, really intelligent. John, you've got your fingers crossed. Come on. <laughs> you, you're being nice about my brain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about uh, what's gone on earlier in this week, gentlemen. Uh, obviously, Nick and Joe arrived here only yesterday, so are just getting themselves immersed, and we'll have a chat with them in the pit lane at the moment. But as I said, Graham, all joking aside, 56 yep. cars went through the scrutineering in the Place de la Republique, which wasn't as busy on Sunday as I thought it Towards might be. the end be. of the day, it was, it was quite, quite blisteringly hot there. I mm. think if people had come for the day, I think by kind of mid-afternoon, they'd probably had enough and were heading for the uh, for the bars and the cafes. And I don't blame them. But uh, no, it was uh, reasonably busy on Sunday. Um, the Dempsey Factor played uh, full part there. Um, I think we've got a little bit of rain out there at the moment, uh, out around the circuit. It's not a our great HD deal. For our new yeah, Dirty International feed is what it says on it, which is... Uh, I'm really excited dirty for International what, feed. That, we can dirty only wonder. Feed. I'm really excited to know what that's going to show later on. Uh, at the moment, it's showing uh, a curb cam, yep. uh, which rain. is on the that's outside of Arnage. Yep. Yeah, and it's it's raining quite heavily at the moment. Got, got Big drops, but not it's massive amounts. Up. Big drops, not massive amounts in the pit lane. Okay. Well, the great thing here is, if we keep watching this camera, that that curb camera is going to fill, fill up. Fill up. You're not allowed swimming pools, the ACO one. That it. Uh, Richard Webb said that on one of our <laughs> of our programs. So no big dramas down in in no. terms of of anybody having to go and get anything sorted out um, mechanically. There was some finger pointing, I think, at the wing end plates, which aren't wing end plates, of course, they're bodywork on the Audi and the. Porsche and the Porsche. One for to have a quick look at. I think race car engineer for that one to explain the machinations there. It's uh, obviously the second year of uh, LMP1 shenanigans. Can we call it shenanigans? You can. Um, trying to find that that uh, that fair advantage within the rules. Uh, but uh, yes, it's the it's a bit like I, I guess year one with Toyota when they had those. Um, 
what did, what did they call the uh, things on the end of the wing? It was part of the kind of the uh, the wheel, the, the wheel arch extensions, wheel arch extensions yes. which were actually an extension to the rear wing, in reality. But uh, against regulations, could get away with that. And again. I think it's it, we come around time and time again, don't we, guys? If you give big brain people the opportunity to have a look at set of rules, they'll find a way around uh, some of the restrictions that are designed to reduce the performance. But uh, interesting times, I think. We're expecting, hopefully, if it stays dry today, uh, some pretty extraordinary running. It's two hours of free practice later, isn't it, here? And then two hours of qualifying uh, through to midnight before two sessions again tomorrow qualifying. But uh, everybody absolutely desperate to get out there and get these cars running in dry conditions. That's the overarching theme is everybody talking about we don't really know about tyres. What I would say is Porsche clearly less confident than Audi are in terms of the mileage they reckon they can get out of a set. Uh, you're listening to 91.2 FM. This is Mobile One, Radio Le Mans for 2015. Around the world at RadioLeMans.com, of course. And it's Midweek Motorsport Series 10, Episode 24 at RSL underscore studio. If you uh, want to pop up, then the studio computer is now arguing with the uh, with the collective. Uh, Jason Gore has just said, is the studio computer actually Hal? And the studio computer has said, no, I have considerably more power than Hal and a sense of humour. You need that working with this lot. Oh, dear. Yeah. This Don't is, upset us. This We've is going to go horribly wrong, I think, in the coming days. Horribly wrong. Right. Who's, who's doing the pit stop practice next to Nick Damon? Uh, it's next to Joel Bradley. Oh, actually. right. Okay. Yeah. It's 53 Vapor, the Vapor Exchange car. Yeah, they're just running through some pit stop choreography. And uh, pretty Which much end of the pit lane are you at the pit out end? Pit out. Okay. That's next to Nissan. Okay, next that's next to Nissan. Yeah. Next to Nissan. Okay, yeah, that's fine. pretty much. And in practice, you, you've got they, they actually go through the whole procedure. I.e., you've got a guy, the team manager, with a stopwatch. The fuel guy goes on, and uh, when the team manager gives the nod, emulating the amount of fuel that's gone in, then yeah, the yeah. tyre guys go to work. And uh, you know, it's just attention to detail, isn't it? Just and the, of course, there's a stopwatch, so there's an element of competition, um, and they want to beat their time. And the guys on the tyres, you can see they they are grafting. They they are panting and these are young guys uh, and look quite sort of uh, athletic and fit so if they're panting you and I hind off would struggle to get off the floor once we put the wheel on I think Interesting effort that one isn't it the, the Viper I know they're, they're keen to see whether or not they can actually put something together to get this car back again next year when they're likely to have some more American opposi- uh, opposition in GTE we'll be finding about that on Friday finally with the, uh, the Ford announcement, the Ford announcement yep. uh, for what is expected what very widely to be a GTE car. And also very widely trailed to be uh, a two-pronged, two-team yeah. two effort. Uh, Ganassi uh, in the States and a world championship effort that is being put together jointly by Ganassi and Multimatic, I think. Now, that's going to be really interesting, I think, because that I think at that point we start to get far more pressure potentially on what Corvette do moving forward. And, and there will be an, in, in, an interview with D, Doug Feehan that uh, Jim Roller did. We'll play that later on uh, this week, uh, speaking exactly about that, where Doug adra- addresses that, that point. Actually, I might slide that into this programme if we have time. We're going to take a little break away from uh, here uh, at Le Mans at the uh, moment, at this moment in time, because a couple of weeks ago we were talking about the uh, Nismo Nissan uh, Micra Cup in Canada, and it was the Canadian 
Grand Prix at the weekend, which, believe it or not, they were part of. And uh, joining us now uh, from Canada is motoring journalist uh, Brian uh, Max. Uh, Brian, first of all, tell us uh, tell us exactly what you... Hello there, by the way. And tell us exactly what you do. I do a few things. So um, I, um, I write for um, Autocar in the UK from time to time. And um, I write for a um, uh, newspaper chain here in Canada. We have 170 newspapers uh, across the country and uh, a couple other magazines as well. But I also, even though I'm based in Canada, I also uh, race um, primarily in uh, club racing in the U.S. Now, when you are writing, are you normally writing about street cars, are you? Yes. Um, I, uh, I typically focus on, on performance and, and premium cars, road cars. Right. And, uh, and because of you know, my motorsport background, I do the, the occasional uh, playing with other people's race cars. <laughs> yes. Yes. As we all try to do. I'm, I'm trying to get into that as well, as you well, as you well know. And the reason that we've got Brian on a couple of three weeks ago, you may remember, we mentioned the Nissan Micra Cup in Canada, which when we worked it out seemed to be three and four pence for a season. And it just so happens that Brian knows a little bit about this because you've been involved in the early part of this season. First of all, tell us about tell us about the series and tell us about how you got involved, Brian. There's an interesting thing about the, the series. We've, we haven't had sort of spec racing in, in, uh, in Canada or one-make series in Canada in a long time. And uh, the, the promoter of the series is, uh, is a colleague of mine. Uh, who's actually another motoring journalist and, and also races. And, and when the micro was announced a little over a year ago for uh, for the Canadian market, he uh, he proposed the idea to Nissan. And uh, as the story goes, it took about 10 minutes for them to consider the idea and green light it. <laughs> so that really was a, a no-brainer. Now, th- this is this is the little car. For those of you who don't know, go and look it up on uh, any of the search size, the Nissan Micra. It's the little car that used to be built in Sunderland, in my hometown. I, I guess that's the one liter, is it? Ours are, are manufactured in uh, at the, the their big facility in uh, in Mexico, and it's the I think it's the 1.6 with a uh, whopping um, 100 and something horsepower, just over 100 horsepower. Let's remind everybody the original uh, Peugeot 205 GTI was 105 horsepower, and we were talking about that as a hot hatch uh, within our lifetime. It's a spec series, so clearly the price needs to be kept down. And before you tell us about the money, because we've already discussed that a little bit on the show, tell us what modifications are we looking at and who does that, Brian? Uh, so a competitor will will buy the um, the complete race car uh, essentially from the the, the promoter. So it's no longer a road going car. I think Nissan wants to to make sure these are all our race cars, and uh, they fully prepare the car um, for competition. And you really can't modify it since it's a it's a, a one make series. Okay. So they they start with. Um, uh, in terms of performance modifications, they, they put a different muffler on it, so it sounds a little racier. But uh, they also add the the Nismo um, suspension kit from the Note, not the Micro or the March. So the the Note's a little bit heavier, and it is the same platform, so it all bolts in. But it, it um, you know it's it's got stiffer spring rates. Yeah. So now the cars roll a lot, mind you, and and it's it's pretty exciting. Um, Otherwise, the, the modifications are limited to brake pads, um, wheels, and, and the Pirelli slicks. And uh, the rest of it is all safety modifications uh, for motor racing. So, you know, kill switch and, and, a, and a wonderful um, proper uh, OMP racing seat and harness. And uh, the competitors have no options. They can't personalize, you know, they can't change the seat, they can't change the steering wheel. Yeah. They have to run the car exactly as it was delivered. 
it's a, a cage, a racing seat, a five-point harness, a fire extinguisher, uh, and all the bits that you would expect. It's a standard set of alloy wheels, uh, and with low-profile uh, high-performance tyres as well by Pirelli, and that's all spec. So that's great, and I like this. So it's there's clearly been a lot of weight taken out of the car because there's no other seats in there. There's very little other trim as well. So 109 horsepower at a thrashing 6,000 RPM from that 16-valve four-cylinder, but 107 foot-pounds of torque at 4,400. So it's all right. I, I kind of like this. So that's going to put the the onus very much on the the driver brian now you've had a test day and a couple of races on that and i'm very envious because i know you've been to Montremblanc to race this this car tell us a little bit about how it went and what the uptake's been uh, on the series uh well um you know in in my series in the u.s i'm i'm uh, accustomed to qualifying up front and um <laughs> Uh, this was a little bit different. I'd never been to Tromblon before and, you know, really hadn't figured things out yet. And, of course, it's not my race car either. So trying to, I was trying to be, uh, you know, somewhat respectful and not go off during testing. So I got up to speed fairly quickly and then uh, became obvious that um, the uh, the car and driver are optimized um, uh, at, at whatever the, the minimum weight is. And, and the, the driver is um, valued at 180 pounds. And I might be a little more than 180 pounds. Uh, yes, well, that's so, that's obviously, that's your success ballast. You're like me. You're, you've been successful and you carry your success ballast with you. That's not, yeah, I have no problem with that. <laughs> you, you know what, Todd? So um, as I discovered at, at Montreal, the single most, um, the single most important corner at Trombla is uh, is corner eight, which is a hairpin, and it's a right-hander, and given, of course, we're in North America, I'm sitting on the left side of the car, and uh, with an open differential uh, as that car is equipped, I could not put the power down out of that corner, so I was at a, a little disadvantage. There's no problem anywhere else in the circuit, but the you know the, the challenge was getting out of that corner. I, lo- and- I love the idea of you having to almost shuffle across to the other side, sort of motorcycle and sidecar passenger style, to do a bit yeah. of weight transfer onto the inside front wheel. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> And you know it's so it's so frustrating. I, you know I've looked at some of my race footage, and, and and you know I'm I'm screaming at you know myself and the car and and some of the competitors to you know just get by me so I can get a toe down that long straight. But uh, um, you know that's it. I was I was um, sort of mid pack um, in in all of that, uh, despite getting up to, to speed relatively quickly. Um, hadn't really figured out the tires by the time qualifying came around. Ended up qualifying fifteenth. Oh, nice. Uh, Out of how many? Uh, I think there were 23 cars. Wow, well done. Yes, well, you know, I could not make that car go any faster with me in the in the driver's seat. So, um, you know, I, and I'd love to have been a little further up front, but my, my first race went relatively well, and, and um, uh, I start really well. So um, I passed, I think, four cars on the, on the, first, uh, on the first lap of the first race. So we, we were getting there and, um, uh, but four laps in, um, I was, uh, I, I got passed down that long straight and was going door to door through a, a couple of corners and, uh, and got taken out by a regular series competitor. Um, it, yeah. In a, in a fast fourth gear corner. So I did everything to keep it off of the, off the wall and on the track surface. And then, then of course rejoined the race in last place. Um, managed to get back up to uh, to 15th. But, um, that, I mean, that just goes to show how fierce the, the competition is. And, and since this is based in Quebec, there's just a, there's just a, um, 
you know, there, there's a the level of seriousness that um, that you know Quebec drivers take motor racing is a lot different than we do here in Ontario, our province, where I live. And um, you know, it's a more um, sort of European flavor than anything else. So it's mm. highly, highly competitive. Two races a weekend. You were at Mont Tremblant for for that what they call the Spring tra- Classic in uh, yeah. on the 22nd of May. Um, they yeah. go to Mont Tremblant again uh, f- for a couple uh, more events. That's four more races. Trois Rivières for the Grand Prix of Trois Rivières, the end of uh, July, beginning of August. Autodrome Son Eustache. And supported the Canadian Grand Prix at the Ile Gilles Villeneuve as well. Brilliant. You know, and and as uh, as the series has been doing, they've been selling more cars, so they're going to have near or more than thirty entries. Nowhere, yeah, but, I, yeah, but yeah. I'm not surprised because th- yeah. th- th- let's talk about the price point because this is quite important. And I hope somebody is listening in Europe who wants to put a, a, a race series together because this is the way to do it. The street car in Canada is just under ten thousand Canadian dollars, which is about I've just looked it up actually, and it's five thousand two hundred pounds or thereabouts. <laughs> um, which, which I know people who've spent more on TV sets. On in fact, I know people who have spent more on handbags uh, sure. than, that, and, uh, than that. Now, um, how much is the how much does the race prep then add? And bear in mind, you you have to buy this from the promoter, so there's there's no messing about. It's a, it's an absolute spec. So the race micro becomes it be, it's another ten thousand dollars. So it's nineteen thousand nine hundred ninety eight dollars Canadian. Right, hang on, let me do that work out. That's ten thousand four hundred and ninety four. 97 pounds <laughs> 10 four, nine, seven. okay so that that is about how much the road car is in the uk so right. uh, that's fully prepped ready to go now clearly there's entry fees there's going to be consumables there's a bit of travel if you were doing the full season brian and, and i know that that's what you're looking to do next year do you keep the car yourself or do they travel it do you get your own car or is it part of a pool how does that work uh, you actually keep it and, and you maintain it okay so, so you um, bring yes. it on your trailer and yep. you and you spanner it okay so there's yep. now let's that's two four six eight ten i reckon that's a 12 race season yeah with a bit of testing on the beginning so what another twenty thousand uh, dollars canadian on the top of that maybe yeah that's that's what they're saying they, they expect uh, costs to, to run a, a solid season will be another twenty thousand canadian dollars so all in all you'll have spent forty thousand canadian dollars which is about twenty one thousand pounds in the uk which yes. is a family car uh, basically, what sort of people are racing this, and are these people who are doing it for a bit of fun? Are they seeing a stepping stone to something else? And what are Nissan throwing into it? And is is, is there a huge prize at the end of it, or is it just for a bit of fun and a bit of self-aggrandizement? You know what? They're they're taking it very seriously at a global level. So um, next time you run into our mate Darren Cox, he knows all about this. What uh, GT Academy has done is they've sent two of their youngest, latest uh, GT Academy winners to compete in the series all season long. Wow! So there's there's one bloke from Thailand who's <laughs> I can't pronounce his name. But uh, he won both races, and um, not because he's got a, a better car than anyone else, but he's uh, he's a good shoe. And there's another bloke uh, from from India who, again, is just as quick, didn't have as as much luck as uh, as the winner did. So the guy from Thailand will be Tanaraj Tanasitakate. Yes. And Abinir Bikani will be the Indian GT Academy guy. That's very interesting. Very now you've had a little go now. Um, I I fear 
that this is not going to be the last time we see you in, in one of these. You've really got the bug for this, Brian, haven't you? Uh, you know, I, I've, uh, I've, I've, my helmet and, and Hans device and race suit are always ready to go. So I'd, I'd love, <laughs> I'd love another go this season, but uh, you know, we'll see. But um, the Nissan uh, Canada is talking about expanding the series beyond um, Quebec and running an Ontario based series, which is where I live. And if that's the case, um, we're, we're seriously considering uh, running two cars in the, in the series next year. And, um, you know, given, given my experience, Experience just in the first weekend, it's it's going to be hyper hyper competitive, and uh, a lot of really inexpensive fun. And uh, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to go as quickly and as competitively in motor racing. And and since it's a spec series, it's it's a level playing ground. Also it. gives me motivation to you know get get uh, get a little fitter and down to that 180 pound range. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. I've already uh, I'm on the site now. It's www.nissan.ca forward slash micro hyphen cup but um, if you if you search for micro cup canada uh, that's the first thing that comes up and i've already noticed media two cars two media cars um so we need to start thinking about next year's calendar immediately and find out um if there's anything around my trip to canadian tires motorsport park that we can fit in for a midweek motorsport special uh, that sounds right up my alley because i've always liked the micro i always thought it was a fun little car to drive brian thanks for coming on brilliant that we've been able to uh, hook up with you and thanks to Declan Brennan for putting us uh, together we wish you all the best and um, keep writing that good stuff uh, as well uh, in your well I suppose in your day job yeah I'll, I'll do my best John thank you very much for having us a real a real pleasure no I mean, our pleasure actually it sounds good fun as well we'll talk about that in just a moment live from trackside direct to you all of the action mobile one radio Le Mans. Uh, and down to the Nismo pit lane team. More about that Nissan uh, Micro Cup in a moment, but we'll stay with the Nismo theme. Mm. But to the uh, to the big brother of the Nissan Micro. I'm not sure there's any carryover, Nick, uh, between Micro Cup in Canada and the uh, the GT RLM that you're standing in front of now with Bob Neville. I, yeah, it's, it, I think there's very little um, uh, Micro in it. It is. The, the bonnet's off, and I can say bonnet. I haven't got this problem. You know, you know when you, these, these mid-engine cars, you go, I can see the engine coming. No, the bonnet's off, mm. and I can see the engine, and it is an absolute work of art. I'm with, I'm with Bob, and we were joking how normally we uh, get to chat to each other in fantastic Dubai weather, because that's where Bob is running the uh, the uh, uh, Nismo uh, PlayStation uh, GT Academy uh, graduates. Um, but now it's raining, and uh, contrary to popular belief, that's not what you guys want, is it? No, it's not. We, we were really hoping for some dry weather running. We, did, we were unlucky on the test day, as, as everyone knows, and we were just, it just looked like it was going to be dry, didn't it? And suddenly this. So, where, I mean, there was a lot of kind of, um, you know, they're not doing very much, they're not trying you know, after test day. I mean, what, what, did you get anything useful achieved during test day in that wet weather, and, and what do you need from these next, well, 10 hours of practice? Well, we need. I suppose regarding the weather, we'd like it to be one or the other. This sort of half damp, is it inters, is it a slick, is it just wet enough for a full wet, will be not a great deal of use to us other than the fact that we will be running around like everybody else. Genuine wet would be useful, genuine dry would be better. And uh, of course with a, a programme as new as this, then all running is, is immensely useful. I mean, the very good point is you, you are running completely different tyres to any other car on the grid, doing completely different jobs of work. I mean, how much information have you been able to give to Michelin that will apply here, obviously having done most of your work in America and not getting the, the, uh, the miles you wanted uh, here in the test? 
Well, I can't really answer that because I, I, I'm just literally here to, to help with running the team, you know, because we, they are in Europe and they've all been over in America for a while. So I haven't been involved in any, any of the development at all. Um, ben is the man to speak to. Uh, he's not around at the moment, but yeah, and it's difficult for me to answer that. Well, let's talk about the thing you do know all about, Bob, and that's the fact that you must be a, a proud father to drivers in virtually all these cars because of the fantastic you know, feed-through of the GT Academy drivers. Yeah, we're just over the moon with that. Darren has, has had faith in the Academy right from when Lucas won it in 08, and here we are with four of our drivers in it. Uh, we always count Alex in that, of course. He's, he's part of the Academy family, Alex Buncombe. So yeah, it actually uh, gives, us, it gives me immense pride to see them in, in LMP1. Well, thanks so much and hope for you for better weather. Thanks. On the spot and in the heart of the action, the Nismo pit lane team. Nismo. Eat. Sleep. Race. Repeat. Joel Bradley down in the Nismo pit lane on the Midweek Motorsport uh, Weekly Show. And I'm in the, uh, the pit lane with uh, one Stefan Johansson. Stefan, nice to see you. You're just you. ambling around, but you're here in the uh, Scuderia Corsa Ferrari pit. Are you with the team? Are you in a working guys here? Yes, I'm, well, my official title is Sporting Director with these guys, and I have, it's my second year. I've been working with them now on the, um, for the GT program, basically, yeah. And it's the number 62 Ferrari with an all-American driver lineup. Tell us a little bit about the, uh, the, the driver lineup for the car. Well, I think the original idea was to re- rejuvenate the NART team if you remember from way back yeah so that's kind of where the the you know the, the american driver lineup right. goes back to i think and uh you know i mean it's an american based team so it makes sense to have three american drivers in the car of course yeah and all experience bill sweetler townsend bell and uh, jeff siegel yeah. um i would imagine they are like sponges with you stefan with gleaning off your experience uh, around this place well, I don't know. I mean, I hope I can contribute a little bit here and there at least. You know, I mean, it's different. I mean, different cars and so on. But, uh, you know, we all know this is not, uh, it's a quite a different track for most others, you know. So there's definitely bits and pieces here and there, which, uh, you know, you have to kind of recalibrate your brain a little bit yeah. before you go out. And yeah. But, uh, yeah. Do you, do you ever miss, do you ever get an inkling to get back in the cockpit and in something? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I haven't sort of officially retired yet. I mean, I still like to have her go every now and then. When the nailing, the last nail in the box will be when Stefan Johansson retires. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Yeah, I don't know. But, you know, I still have fun with it and I still enjoy it. And, I, you know, as long as I feel I can contribute, you know, why not? But it's, uh, you know, I mean, when the opportunity is there, it's not, I'm not losing sleep over it, you know, but it's, uh, it, it's fun when I get the chance to go out and have a, have a play. What's your thoughts on where the top level of the, of sports car racing's gone and the, the technicalities with the hybrid systems and, and the amount of work? It's not just about a driver hitting his apex and getting his gear changes right these days. There's all a, there's a myriad of things that they have to a driver has to cope with. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's I think it's good and bad. I I'd say. I mean, I think it's taken away some of the. The purity, let's say, from a driver's point of view, you know, where, where I mean, I think, you know, the, the best days, I think, was when you had no driver aids at all. I mean, and, and, and actually manual shift gearbox like, a, you know, stick shift rather than the paddle because that was such a huge skill element as well, you know. And, and I mean, in a qualifying lap, often the gear, you know, just the gear change was what determined your speed, you know, because it was just such a technique to be able to get that right. 
and and obviously being able to you know modulate the car with just the throttle and the steering wheel is a is from, from a driver's point of view it's awesome i mean that's what it's all about you know to be able to have that when you get in that mode you know when everything just works perfect and you you're really just handling the car by yourself you know but i mean it is what it is you know i mean technology moves on you can't close the lid on it you know because they always find a way around and once you gain a set of knowledge it's never going to go away you know so it's there now and it's it's uh, you know the way it's dealt with but i mean at the same token i think the new technology is fascinating in many ways and i think sports car racing the way the rules are is way better than formula one let's say because at least you have options you know you're not locked in a box you know where it's just a matter of fine-tuning whatever you're allowed to do but here you can you can come up with a fairly original idea and it's still you know you can still apply it so from that point of view i think it's from a technical point of view and uh, you know from a manufacturer standpoint as well it's probably a lot more interesting could you say a big hello to one of uh, the, the midweek motorsport listeners, one of your biggest fans, Emma Crawley? Could you say hello to Emma Crawley for me, Stefan? Oh, I, well, I'll probably hello to you on Twitter, because we get... Also a familiar name to Stefan, yeah. Absolutely. How are you, Emma? Good. She's apparently sitting in her garden in Darlington in England, uh, listening, oh, yeah. and apparently sunshine in England. Oh, there you go. See, I should be there. Get the tea ready, Emma. I'll be there soon. <laughs> See you, kick. Uh, I'm with you on that one, Stefan. Okay. Great to talk to you. But right. I'm with you. The dexterity of a ballet dancer on the pedals and yep. the gear shift was my thing as well. Yep. Uh, instead of the brain dexterity, perhaps at our age, we haven't got so much of that now. Well, there you go. <laughs> Thanks again. Joe Bradley with uh, Stefan Johansson uh, down in Pit Lane. Uh, great to hear uh, Stefan talking uh, on Radio Le Mans, Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM. Graham Goodwin in the studio with me, John Hindoff. It is the Mobile One broadcast centre overlooking the Ford Chicane at the end of the lap here, where rain has been steadily falling since just before we came on air about uh, three quarters of an hour ago and due for at least another hour, possibly even more, according uh, to the radio that we are looking at at the moment. Uh, Joe Bradley and uh, Nick Damon are our two Nismo Pit Lane reporters uh, for Midweek Motorsport in this one-off special that we do every year. It is Series 10, Episode 24. Joe, just a, a quick thought on what Brian Mask was uh, saying uh, uh, earlier on about the, uh, the Micro Canada Cup. Uh, that sounds like something... I mean, I'm not surprised if it's taken off uh, already in uh, in Canada. Uh, that that sounds right up your alley, mate. Oh, man. I, I'm, I'm off towards the Nissan LMP garage to find Darren because we need that in the UK. Um, it reminds me very much of, uh, of 2007 when I was involved with the Clio Cup and a new car, new iteration of that car. Well, with a brand new car... If you just a little bit of engineering nose, you can find a little bit of an edge. And the, the, the attraction there is obviously the cost. Because you, the, the, the customer base that's coming out of karting and, and finding, you know, just dipping your toe into, uh, into car racing for the first time, at that sort of cost for a car, is just phenomenal. Mm. And yes... I can see a workshop with about four or five of them in. If, <laughs> if um, I'm already on it, mate, I'm, I'm going to find Mr. Cox and uh, and get him. We need that in the UK. It seems apt as well, doesn't it? Because the Micra, up until very recently, was built in our hometown. Yes, so, it was built in so, Sunderland. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm very interested in that, uh, and it's something that we are perhaps lacking. I mean, things like uh, Clio Cup, for instance. Well, uh, it got very uh, expensive, and it's there's a lot very of expensive. Yes, lot of kit on them now, a lot of data. 
a lot of data uh, analyzing going on and things like that it's, well that's just you know that, that's always been the case and, and you know data analysis is, isn't that isn't where the cost lies the the cost of the uh, of of the whole thing you know the car b- became a really uh, a really prohibitive kind of cost for someone who initially wanted to uh, dip their toe into car racing um, whereas before it was always kind of a somewhere to go out of karting you would perhaps consider especially these days when the single seater route is so confined mm. these days kids are coming out of karting and wanting to be touring car drivers and sports car drivers so a great starting area for that would have been Cleo Cup but that kind of lost its way a little because purely because of the way that the costs escalated so to bring a car like a 1600 uh, what did we say 130 brake horsepower no, 100, 109 109 horsepower yeah I mean the, the racing is going to be close just 205 GTI as I said that's yeah. 205 as I said to Brian it's 205 GTI numbers from you know back in the late 70s early 80s and, and my goodness me that was you know that was we called those pocket rockets they were little hot hatchbacks uh, and anybody who's ever driven a 205 uh, GTI or a 309 as I had with the boot on they were fantastic point and squirt machines and, and that kind of power to weight ratio Graham Goodwin you had one I had a 309 you yep. had a 309 yep. you had a 9 to 1.9 didn't you did yeah, great you place to start though to, to learn the craft well, you know, and to le- learn exactly. wheel drive uh, uh, and to learn uh, you know there's a big difference between a go-kart track or a car track than, and getting out onto the expanses the vast expanses of somewhere like Silverstone oh, yes. or Alton Park the place feels huge yeah. and massive and, or and Croft even Croft and even, yeah even the, the tighter the tighter tracks like Cadwell Park for, in mm. comparison um, you know they feel huge Ted and the Toy Man among another uh, many who are saying it's a great idea but we need an over 6 feet and overweight class uh, in that <laughs> yes. yeah, I, I like that I like that Nick Damon is down in the pit lane where are you Nick? Uh, down at pit entrance Oh, are you? I'm just meandering seen. down, but it's very, very quiet. Uh, as I think uh, people decided to take the one till two uh, lunch break, and it's not. Even, I, I didn't have the excitement. Me wheels changing walk, even. So walk, uh, out, walk out to the pit wall if you don't mind, Nick. Are you behind the barrier? No, no, I'm in the middle now. I'm now on the pit wall. I'm right in front of Toyota. Oh, it's. Oh, there you I are. Yeah. The disadvantage about this is when you come out here, it's raining. Uh, if you go, the, the over the overhang of the grandstand means if you're down by the actual uh, tensor barriers. You actually pointed there when you said that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, the tensor so barriers. Flamboyant, isn't he? It's so flamboyant. It's very colourful. But interestingly, it doesn't mean there is a minor advantage because at this point, if you are in the main part of the pit building, your pit box is dry. If you're in the row of woe slash innovation station, mm. it's wet. And that's a very good point. That's where Joe Bradley is at the moment, outside of the 23. Uh, 22, 23, 24. One, two, three. Uh, and he is 21, 22, 23 garage, which is the Nissan GT RLMs. Well, in fact, he's, I thought he was because he's hunting down a Nissan employee, but he's following the yeah, mammoth I'm, brain the size of a planet. I'm not quite there. I, I, got, I, I was kind of outside the Corvette pit, making my way to Nissan to uh, book a... Uh, to, to put an order in for a, a micro a <laughs> micro cup car, car. Yes. Um, it's got, I've already named the series there you go um, and Ben Ben Bowlby is a man I'm going to leap on he's just in conversation with someone so uh, we'll get a word with Ben and get his thoughts going into find out just what they gleaned from test day which for me I think all the teams apart from some wet track running which even then is going to prove insignificant because the track was very very green and then it rained, so it became mm. even greener. So, you know, after tomorrow night, when the, the track has lost that greenness, um, and what I mean by that is, this, the, you know, the majority of the track here at Lasarth is public roads, or are public roads. And uh, 
from that, they've got all sorts of everyday road grime, uh, diesel, dust, dirt, more detritus, diesel. more diesel. And that takes a little bit of scrubbing off before the track kind of loses that and starts putting a bit of rubber down from the race tyres. One thing is they do miss out quite a bit of the Multan straight now, the Lindau and Adier, and there's, of course, plans afoot to make more of what is currently public road full-time racetrack, or at least yep. not being <clears> driven on. And you've got all the way back from the Ford, uh, from the Porsche curves rather, through to Turt Rouge, which is uh, racetrack. And there's a couple of bits of the Mulsanne Strait which aren't public road anymore. And the run from uh, Indianapolis, just before Indianapolis, through to uh, the exit of Arnage is due to be bypassed. It's that right-left, isn't it? Yeah. So right-left, it, it's basically to deal with right, road safety right. concerns about, about the public road aspect. There's been you know, a number of... Uh, public road collisions, particularly where Arnage Corner lies, and that's uh, due to be bypassed uh, pretty soon. Um, so yes, we're going to lose another part of the kind of public road aspect, but not the track. That's the no, key point. The here. track remains the same, Absolutely. but you won't be able to drive on it. So if you haven't done it uh, your lap round yet this year, and you're listening on 91.2 Mobile One Radio Le Mans for 2015, uh, get out there and do, you can't do it now because it's closed. But when it reopens uh, after hostilities. Tonight, uh, and of course all day Friday, get yourself around, drive at a sensible pace and get it done now because the opportunities to drive the track as it stands at the moment uh, may not be there for too much longer. Has, has Ben stopped his conversation, George? Shall we carry I on with I think swing? I'll just be rude, shall I? Go on then. Let's, they're only, I mean, he's only having a cat. No one important, it's just Ollie Gavin he's talking to. Uh, Hello, Ben. Hello. It's, uh, can I, we're live on Midweek Motorsport uh, on RadioLamont.com. Um, I want to talk in private from these Chevrolet guys. I don't want to sort of give anything away from the new car. It's another big uh, front-engine car. Yeah, but another big front-engine car. Ben, um, test day, I think, was a bit inconclusive for everyone, including yourselves. Was that right? Well, we could have done with a dry day, to be honest, because uh, we have no data for an LMP1 car running around here. And uh, our goal was just to very gently approach the whole thing, bring uh, three cars back at the end of the test day in one piece and uh, have gathered a lot of data because it rained almost immediately. So, um, yeah, we didn't get too much dry data, which was a bit unfortunate for us. We could have we really used that. But, um, you know, um, our whole program is brand new and it's going to be a learning year, however you look at it. And, um, you know, we got three cars back back in one piece, so we feel pretty good about it. <laughs> Any positives taken from the fastest time? The fa- Sorry, the, the outright fastest speed? Uh, well, it's good to have something, isn't it? Um, I guess we were expecting to be about that, and um, I hope our other expectations get met uh, for the other elements of the circuit. So, obviously, there's the... We, you know, we have our expectation for not only the straight line speed, but the cornering, braking and acceleration performance. So we want to try and hit all those targets and um, you know, that will give us the best building block um, for you know, the rest of the WEC season and, and next year. So. Was there, there, was, there was lots of rumour and speculation, which, which is great from Darren's perspective. That's great publicity, isn't it? Um, but there was lots of rumour and speculation that at, at some point you guys have disconnected the hybrid system which would kind of correlate to the sector times in comparison to your outright speed, which was great, but the car was losing a little in the twisty bits kind of thing. Was there any truth to that? Or is it, you know, there was, I would imagine, lots of experimentation. Yeah, lots of experimentation. We've got to um, understand the car uh, with and without hybrid systems. And uh, as you know, we uh, elected to um, leave behind the uh, the rear 
drive element um, for reliability and mass reasons. Um, so we're focused on um, having the ERS um, connected to the front. And, um, you know, it, it's a very new system and we've got an awful lot to get done and we've got to keep things, ever, you know, um, moving reliably and sensibly. So we've, we've just been very cautious with our approach and uh, test day was all about um, collecting solid data. So that's a no then. <laughs> um, ben, I know you guys had a huge job list um, on test day, which was kind of being left behind because of the weather. Are you continuing with that and ticking the boxes of the job lift job list off uh, today and tomorrow? Uh, well, in, of course, and uh, you know we're actually basically starting again um, from where we were planning to start for the test day. So um, yeah, we've got four hours in this session and it's already started raining. <laughs> it's not yeah, perfect at all. It wasn't forecast as well, I've got to say. Um, what can we expect to see from the, the Nissan LMP team this evening? Today, um, I think, well, we're just going to run through all nine drivers and uh, put as many laps under their belts. Uh, I think the biggest thing for us is uh, exposure to the car at the track. And uh, that's, uh, you know, it's not like we can change the design of anything, but we can change strategies and um, play to our strengths and so on. So, and also, of course, just the drivers having the time in the car will probably pick up more lap time than anything else. And they know that we're up against it with a number of, um, uh, you know, we don't, we don't have a spare tub here, for example, but we do have quite a lot of spare bodywork and spare suspension and gearboxes and engines and so on. So we're in pretty decent shape, all things considered. Um, but it's, uh, you know, the drivers understand that we're a startup at this point in, in comparison to the established teams. And, um, you know, taking that into account, we're still going to play it pretty steady. Um, obviously, qualifying tonight, uh, again, if it's... If it's dry, I mean, we'll have to take the opportunity and try and post a banker. But, um, you know, still our objective is to get all three drivers per car with their mandatory five laps and um, just just be smooth about it. Well, you've got a lot of the power of positive thinking from all of our fans going to your team. And hopefully, you know, you've got a lot of fan base behind you. So if everyone gets behind you, a lot of positiveness. And uh, like everyone like to see you guys do well. Thanks for talking to us, Ben. Pleasure, thanks very much. Ben Bulby talking to our Nismo Pitlane reporter, Joe Bradley, down there. I can definitely say that having been in their three garages, which are linked and which has a huge area on the back of them with a another bit built on the top of that, they are not, Graham, bereft of bodywork and engines and, and all that sort, sort of thing. They've got parts coming out of every orifice. Uh, being no doubt, it's a factory effort. It's a factory effort with, with sensible expectations at the moment. I think we heard that in the uh, fantastically diplomatic way in which Ben wasn't answering that question. What, about the hybrid? Uh, yeah, but I mean, yeah, look, moving away from that, because to a degree... It doesn't my, matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, what matters is the car. car is here. In fact, the three cars are here. The three cars will be running. They're going to be working to get as many miles... On the, on the wheels of those cars as they possibly can. It's a fantastic effort. It's a fabulous-looking car. The crowds, aside from the celebrity factor of people like Mark Webber and Patrick Dempsey, when we've had the uh, the uh, public in the pit lane, by far the biggest crowds have been around Nissan. Uh, they're where it's at in terms of the new and the interest, and they're, and they're winning that battle. That will only help them to do what they can to push that car up the grid. 
That's Graham Goodman, the editor of DailySportsCar.com. I'm John Hindoff in the pit lane for this special edition of Midweek Motorsport Series 10, episode 24. We're live from Le Mans, and it's uh, Nick Damon and Joe Bradley. Mobile One, 91.2 FM, Radio Le Mans for 2015. Midweek Motorsport. Half time. And while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. Second half of this evening's, or this afternoon's programme, you see, I've got that programmed into me. Uh, more of your tweets at Specutainment, at RSL underscore studio. We'll be discussing what happens if the cars go too fast here at Le Mans and how can the ACO make them slower? Do they want to make them slower? More from the pit lane as well. And we'll be looking forward to this afternoon's practice session. Remember, there's a Wednesday practice and there are drivers who have to get through that practice session because they missed the test day earlier on in the month. That's all still to come on Midweek Motorsport. Keep the tweets coming at Specutainment and at RSL underscore studio. 91.2 FM is Mobile One Radio Le Mans. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMans.com. Uh, so let's go straight to that point. Uh, we'll keep a, an ear out for the guys in the pit lane. You probably hear the uh, noises of engines being run up uh, at the moment. Pandemonium says, uh, what are your opinions on making LMP1 slower? I think it's a poor move. Well, the first question before we even ask that Pandemonium is, are the cars going to be, quote-unquote, too fast this year? And it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because we were very honoured to be a part of a, a very small group uh, that sat with the president of the ACO, the man at the head of uh, the FAWEC, so that's Pierre Fiona Gerard Nouveau, uh, and the managing director of the ACO here uh, at the Mall, that's Frederick Lennart, uh, last night. And this question came up. Now, that wasn't a press conference, so we're not going no, to betray any confidences and say what was said. But with the changes to the track, Graham, there seems to be, I think it's fair to say, a slightly more relaxed attitude about the kind of pace we might see this weekend. I, I think the answer is everybody, with the exception of the large brain people involved directly in the development of the cars, has been surprised by the leap that's been taken forward by the leading LMP1 cars. And of course, when you're, you're the, kind of the guardians and the stewards of, above all, safety in the sports, you've got to take a sensible view about uh, what it is you do about making sure that the uh, the cars are kept within sensible parameters. What I mean, mean by sensible parameters, I mean parameters that are going to keep these cars where they need to be on the track and not elsewhere. And for that matter, to mitigate the risk of them ending up there if the, uh, if the, uh, the track conditions get trickier, um, it, it's a perfectly sensible debate. It's certainly not a matter... Uh, that we're talking here about making these cars go fundamentally slower than they're capable of doing. It's a matter of whether or not actually what you allow is unfettered uh, development by principally the factory teams on the same kind of curve as we've seen year on year. Let's look at it this way. Year on year, uh, even at the test day where the conditions were pretty awful, where the track condition was worse, they still beat last year's pole time. And last yep. year's pole time was pretty quick. Yep. So what could we see if it dries up here? Well, we could. We could see record-breaking pace. 
on a circuit, by the way, let's not forget, that was far more open when those records were set, without the chicanes, with a faster section, um, you know, just just the left of where I'm standing at the moment, John. However, there is better surface over most of the part of this and and less bumps than there used to be, particularly on the permanent parts of the circuit through the Porsche curves, which I'm reliably told by one uh, Porsche driver, the two lefts in the Porsche curves now are pretty much flat out. In a, in a, I can well believe uh, it. it. Which just boggles my mind. Uh, welcome to Midweek Motorsport, one of our um, irregular uh, correspondents, contributors, uh, Martin Haven, uh, wearing somebody's Eurosport jacket, probably not his, because no, his, his, uh, his didn't make the trip for various uh, bits and pieces, but we pass our best wishes on to Tom Gamer and his, uh, his family, who hasn't been able to, to pop down here for some personal reasons. Um, we are unlikely to hear you, unlikely to hear you, having a safety car rant this year. That's another thing that will speed the race up. Slow zones, um, possibly even full course yellows without the Audis having to roll. Well, I was talking to Eduardo Freitas, the race director, yesterday, and there are still the three safety cars, as we've seen before. There will be the option to have a full course yellow, which will be virtual uh, safety car. Finger on the button, mm-hmm. 80 kilometres an hour, which the teams are all very Which is effectively with. code 60, code 80, code 80 as exactly. it is from our friends at Creventic know all about that. And the, 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 again, the slow zone, where again the speed limit will be 80 kilometres an hour and they will have a deceleration zone, then a slow zone and then there'll be a green flag and you can accelerate. So, the safety cars could definitely still play a part, but he understands that safety cars close up gaps, open up gaps, and can effectively ruin a race. Yes. Uh, unwittingly. Uh, and the more safety cars that you add into the equation, undoubtedly the more difficult it becomes to hold everyone at station. And, yeah. and we've seen in the past quite large gaps. I mean, there was about 45 seconds difference. I, I remember one year with the Audis and the Peugeots, Graham. Absolutely. One quick thing to add into this debate, by the way, is that it's been some, there has been some, uh, exp- some concern expressed by one or two of the factory drivers that the slowing down zone that Martin completely correctly mentioned there, that there is that basically there is no rule about you could basically break hard as you go into that slowing down zone you can do that with no penalty mm. and I think they're so long as you're at the right speed by I the time you get in expressing it. some concern that perhaps that's something that needs a little bit of thought yeah in any other situation you will go flat out and you'll come around a corner or halfway down a straight and then you'll see a yellow flag and you will slow down you know a bit yeah as as you do so probably I, I, I absolutely, to be safe there, aren't there? There's I absolutely to be take safe. your point. You know, it, it it is. You have to have it somewhere. I agree. You can't just go. Here's the yellow flag. Bang! Hit the limiter. Yeah. Mm. Because various people's limiters will work in different ways, and then you will absolutely have shunts. Um, especially because, for instance, if it only let's say it was an automatic system, and as you passed post 126B. Bing, your limiter hit in immediately. Mm. Your GT car is doing 140 miles an hour. Your LMP1 is doing 190 miles an hour. Neither of them are going to slow at the same rate, which means the faster car behind, even when he passes the line and bing, his automatic limiter cuts in, is still going to need more time for that to decelerate the car because it won't be braking it would be engine limiting, which is the only way you could do if you did it automatically. So you still have to let the drivers I, I do that I, Hang on, I love down. this. I love this. Haven's having a slow zone rant. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not. I'm, 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 he's, being very, he's explaining it extremely well. Actually, right, Martin. I think what, what the, the drivers that have been spoken to about this are actually explaining is that, look, the rule's correct. We absolutely get it. We yep. respect it completely. 
But what they're pointing out is that a t- tactic that can be employed that potentially gives more danger is not going to be penalised. Mm. And it gives them an advantage because, of course, if you can go hard yep. to the point where you have to be going at that slower speed, you've got tens that you can save. You can't overtake in that slowing mm. down zone. Well, and, and, and you see, that's the thing, because that's what differentiates needing to slow down for a slow zone to needing to slow down for a chicane or for a corner yep. because you can do that and of course you do go barreling up to the chicane as fast as ever the devil can take you yep. mm. but you have then to slow down without hitting anything and that includes other moving vehicles and that's the same in the slowing down zone yes drivers will carry as much speed as far into it as they can but the penalty for getting it wrong by a couple of metres is a drive-through on your first offence or whatever. And 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 actually, the but that's like for, the it's like a no ball in cricket. Wrong, but that's like a no ball in cricket. You should never ball a no ball in cricket because you should never be that close yes. to the line. And we, don't forget, we've only got this because drivers can't be trusted to do the right thing when yellow flags are out. Yes. So unfortunately. I'm afraid I bat that straight back mm. to the drivers and said, if you had been doing the right things in the first place and the race director had had the confidence in you that you would drive to the conditions and to the flags, we yeah. wouldn't be having this discussion right now. I think what the drivers actually identify as a bonus here, and especially with the full course yellow situation, is there is no interpretation. Mm. When you're in a slow zone, whether it's full course or regional, it's 80 Ks, and if your telemetry flicks up or higher than that, you're in the pits and you're out. It's not your yep. judgment of what is or isn't safe. No, that's true. It's not a judge of fact or an observer's judgment who maybe doesn't estimate what 80 kilometers an hour looks like on a P1 as opposed to a GT. It is an absolute, and mm. that means there's no quibbling and no mistakes being made because it's all what the data tells you. So you're either there or you're not there. No, it's fair. And, and, so, and so that's what they say. One of the other elements with the full course yellow thing is all the teams have said, yes, we like this. Again, you won't get people thinking, oh, it's quite quiet along here. I'll just floor it for a bit. And, oh, no, 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 no. You know, because there are gaps between some of the marshals' posts where you could pick up your speed and then drop it again and then up again. And if you know where the incidents are that brings out the full no, course yellow, you can yep. race around and then slow down where those are. So that, that removes all of that. Again, that removes all the question marks. What the teams have asked specifically, Eduardo said, is if you're going to do a full course yellow, please can you make it for a full lap? so that everybody has an opportunity to dive in the pits. If you make a full course yellow, but it's only out for a couple of minutes, some of the field can take advantage, some won't. And, and that uh, then brings no, you back to no how the safety cars work. There's no advantage if you come in and it goes black to green again. You saved a tiny bit, but you're going to lose track position. Mm. And that that's the roll of the dice. The whole point of having a full course yellow and not having a safety car is you can get back to green straight away without the safety car having to come back to the line so i'm sorry that needs to be thrown out immediately and the teams need to understand that they have to look at that tactically and see whether it's worthwhile making the decisions the the whole point of a full course yellow is that it gets counted back down and eduardo will say we will withdraw the safety cars at 14 10 exactly which is in eight seven six etc and and then it's gone if you start messing about with things like that, it will be, oh, what's a full lap? 
what was yeah, a full and, lap and, 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 and I and for hang on class hang on a second and I was behind yeah. no I was behind no I was in front of him and I got split up from and then you're off on the we, whole thing again having to write the, three the, pages the, the, the to point. mitigate the, the class structure yeah, issues you're absolutely right but where we are right now now even, I'm having a slow zone rant even even though we're talking here about the, again, the ins and outs the if buts and maybes isn't this just way better than where we were oh yeah isn't this so much better than where we were immeasurably and and the and the bonus of it is the pit lane will remain open at all times. Yep. You will not get entry and exit if you happen to be in the pit lane. Uh, yes, I, I said because there's no safety car queue. Right. So they can't. They won't shut it as the safety car queue goes by. And so if you come off safety car one, and if you were really really on point, you'd get back out at the back of safety car one queue. But you're held up for a little bit. Then you're suddenly in safety car two. Because the, the pit lane is shut, that won't happen. Or worse, under safety full car three, and you or, lose three quarters so, of a lap. So you won't be disadvantaged. Two thirds of a lap. Uh, because there won't be a safety car queue. So I, I, I did ask. I said under full course yellow, so pit lane remains entirely open, entirely open, as if it's fully green. Yes. Just so at then, a different speed. See, so then is. If you start talking about having to be full course yellow for a lap, when do you throw the full course yellow? Only when the leader's gone across the line? No, or I, only when the leader yeah. gets, you know, the leader then surely, to make that fair, the leader has to have the first chance to come in the pit. So you can't sh- throw the full course yellow until the leader is the next car due to co- and then you just start getting yeah, messy. Yeah, yeah. So, no. The answer no, I, to that is no. The answer is it'll be full course caution for as long as it needs to be full course caution. And it's unlikely to be for two or three minutes because if it was that minor, it'll be a local yellow. Now, the the only time... Yes, slow zone. I'm going to go and talk to him in a couple of minutes and and go through the entire thing. But I think essentially the only time we're likely to see full safety cars is if the weather is inordinately inclement or there is something very, very major that needs to be Mm. sorted out and actually... You know everything else. You would think. Actually, but what do you need a safety car for? You don't you need safety going car. around at 80 k's on the Don't limiter, need a safety they, car. You, you sort of. I mean, they're. You know, they're except nice for and, somebody. And they'll never be scrambled. Except for somebody to sponsor them and people to sit around in their overalls, uh, listening to us on 91.2 Mobile One Radio Le Mans and drinking coffee. That you don't need them. You absolutely with full course yellow. You and, don't and need uh, them. Yeah, I think we're now at that situation again. I said so. You know, like, you know, Formula One have their virtual safety car, but Charlie Whiting only uses it for Formula One. GP2 and GP3 and Porsche Super Cup use a safety car, a physical safety car. But once you start with this at the top, once you start with this at the top, it trickles down. Yeah, stop him first. Yeah. Uh, GP2 had... Uh, Can't virtual, hear you, Nick, sorry. GP2 had virtual safety car problems at uh, Monaco, didn't it? They ran them, about uh, three of them, or four of them at Monaco. And they caused uh, no end of issues, but they are running in three and so three and two now has uh, uh, the vir- the, uh, the virtual safety car. So yeah, mm. uh, whether it works or not is questionable. <laughs> it should. I mean, mm. you know, let's face it. We put man on the moon 35 years ago. Well, we we can't. Nobody get, in here did. Well, we put him on a, on a film set 35 years yes. ago. But if we can't get virtual can't safety car to work, then we, we you know we need to go back and and and. We better let you go because you don't want to keep Eduardo. Tell him I was asking very kindly after him, and if he was looking forward to that, if he would like me to drive one of the LMXs round, um, just to get myself. Uh, up to speed a little bit, that will be fine. Martin Haven there joining us on Midweek uh, Motorsport. Let's head down to the Nismo pit lane team. Joe Bradley with an LMP... Uh, it's a, an endangered species now, an LMP1 privateer, Joe. Mr Collis is the LMP1 privateer. I've 
managed to uh, get the chance and the opportunity to talk to him. Mr. Collis, it's quite a challenge you've set yourselves in the P1 class with the CLM. Um, tell me, what's your thoughts going into a race like Le Mans uh, as, as a privateer against the manufacturer teams? I think it will be a, a big battle between the manufacturers and it's a challenge, as you just said, and this is the... We want to take this challenge and we'll see. And is that where you get the satisfaction from, that that's a mighty challenge? Yes, that's my personal satisfaction. I think there are not too many people around who are taking this challenge. It's been quite a quite a history. The car we saw last year in the guise of as a as a Lotus, and it's now been rebadged as CLM. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that and and the process that went through to to be rebadged? No, the the contact with Lotus ended, and uh, and we continued the program. That's all about it. Right. So it's as simple as that. So the chassis remains the same as we saw in the World Endurance Championship, with a, perhaps a little bit development. I, I think that there was substantial development until today in the last few months. So I, I can say 90% of the car is, is new now. Could you tell our listeners what the CLM stands for in the, in the model of the car? It can stand for many things. <laughs> LM stands for Le Mans, obviously, and C can stand for Colin, for example. What happened with your for you you were you were um, uh, on the fringes of Formula One in fact involved in Formula One is that now have you put that one away and sports cars away you're going to remain? No, my private involvement was always with sports cars or with DTM or with other racing series, and there is also the Formula One involvement, but this is a different page. This is not related to to personal racing. I see. So the per the Formula One was a personal thing for you. No, this is a personal oh, this thing. Is right. <laughs> this is a kind of personal thing, because this is the heritage of the company, basically. You know, and, and Formula One is is a different project. We we were involved in Formula One. I'm still involved in Formula One, in a different way, but it's it's two different uh, things. Yeah. Do you see there's any scope of get returning to Formula One and, and taking that one on again? As I said, I'm, I'm, I'm still involved in it. I'm not involved in the first row because I think that uh, th this is uh, a different uh, topic, to be honest. But uh, for me, uh, at the moment, sports car racing is very, uh, a very interesting project and a very interesting platform. And, and, and this is why we are here. And where do you see the future for the privateer in the top class at Le Mans? Do you think there is indeed a future up against the, the huge budgets of the manufacturers? Well, obviously, you know, I don't see it as privateer or non-privateer. You have the hybrid cars, you have the non-hybrid cars. This is how I see it, you know, and it's uh, everybody can decide for himself if he takes it on or not. We are taking this challenge. Uh, and uh, there's nothing more to say. Uh, we will see, you know, what will be the result on Sunday or maybe earlier if we don't finish. So your class competitor is the Rebellion, so it's a race between you and the Rebellion? Well, uh, as you might see, Nissan is making a lot of promotion and I think that we will be quicker than the Nissan and this is a works team. So I'm not going to, you know, we can enter into this discussion, you know, and people are saying we had very short time to develop and we had sleepless nights. I think we are a smaller team and we are developing this car in a smaller uh, time frame than others. And I think that we are doing a great job. So uh, let's see what will happen on Sunday. Yeah, I know the effort that goes into putting a team together. 
Mr Collis and I know it's a great effort and it's great to see you here at Le Mans and uh, long may it continue thank you Nismo Nismo eat eat sleep race repeat Midweek Motorsport Series 10 episode 24. Hello there. We're live from the Mobile One Broadcast Centre at the end of the Bugatti circuit, overlooking the final chicane, the Ford chicane, uh, here with uh, all of the rescue vehicles beginning to make their way out onto a damp circuit now in preparation for the practice and then qualifying later on. We'll be able to hear every moment of that live. Uh, coming up straight after Midweek Motorsport, we'll be going inside Mobile One. Bruce Crawley was a big hit with you the listener uh, last year when we talked about the 40th anniversary of Mobile One Synthetic Oils, the world's most popular uh, synthetic oil and he's uh, given us some more of his time uh, to talk through not just the history but also where Mobile One is today particularly in respect of here at Le Mans and our favourite part of motorsport I want to bring uh, Nick Damon and uh, uh, Graham Goodwin of DailySportsCard.com in on that Colin Collis interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, very defensive there, Nick, Mr. Collis. Uh, perhaps, uh, I mean, I, I thought perhaps uh, unnecessarily so to some of George's questions. Uh, I think the problem is, is that he knows there is a vulnerability about his involvement with several Formula One teams. In what uh, respect, Nick? Uh, are the lawyers listening? And I'll leave it at that. Ah. Um, you know, the, we, we ran through at the back end of last year the complete issue problems with uh, the Caterham situation, which was involved with the Collis takeover. There's a previous involvement he's had with previous other Formula One teams. He was hanging around with the Romanian potential entrant, which, mm. and then, you know, and whether how much of it is, is true, how much of it is ridiculous speculation, but it is a smoke without fire, and it is. Un- unescapable the fact that Colin Coles has been involved with Formula 1 teams which have folded um, his, whether his involvement caused them to fold I'll leave you to draw their own conclusion whether it was actually his aim to make them fold I will leave you to draw your own conclusion I'll just send that question out there but you know, it's a kind of thing where you, know, the, you don't want it's, it's a bit like would you rather see Godzilla or Colin Coles wander into your factory as a new owner of your Formula 1 team I go Godzilla every time mm. personally uh, he's uh He's picking a fight there, though, Graham, saying that they're going to be faster than the GT RLM. I, I could just take issue with, with Nick. Outrageous. I've always found Colin Collis to be the most uh, d- charming, debonair and open person uh, in, the, uh, in the WEC paddock. And it's an absolutely outrageous assertion that in any way he could be evasive or any other of those negative uh, personal <laughs> characteristics applied to him. Genius, I think, to name that car the Colin Lamont. Yes. Genius. Is that the first time we've heard where, that? Where did he get that from? I don't know. Yeah. It's Colin, actually. Colin. Yeah. Colin. Powell. Yeah. Colin yeah. Lamont. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's uh, Hindoff and Goodwin in the booth in the Nismo Pit Lane team uh, outfits this afternoon. Uh, looking very fetching with that uh, studded leather. That's very nice indeed. Um, uh, is Nick Damon. Not the first time for him, of course. Uh, and oh, with studs. Uh, yeah, easy tiger. And uh, oh no, that wasn't you. That was the uh, that was the share impersonator, was it? Sorry. Uh, the uh, and <laughs> easy. Joe Bradley is down there as well. A little bit more movement down in the pit lane. People. Uh, yes, go ahead. Yeah, there's quite a bit of movement of people, and also there's uh, there's a bit of pit stop practice going on. I've, I I need you to make me an, a, an appointment to Specsavers when I get back. So I just walked past the Aston Martin Art car, and my only reaction was my eyes 
my eyes. If you scan it, it will tell you uh, how much it is worth. <laughs> and, oh, I thought I thought I thought you won something from the local Waitrose. Um, I'm going to see if I can grab, grab a quick word with someone. It's very quick. I'm going to see if I can uh, grab a quick word with uh, you okay? with uh, with Brad Kettler, who's just uh, come over and so we've pounced on him. Uh, Brad, you're. Uh, we, we, we've all been speculating on the show. What's your uh, feeling about the balance of power in P1 at the moment? Well, I think it's pretty good at the moment. I mean, what we've seen at the very beginning in the WEC races this year has been absolutely fantastic. And I think, uh, you know, there's obviously strengths and weaknesses to all the cars, but I think that the uh, ACO's done a pretty good job, you know, getting those sorted out. And in this low drag trim, where do you feel Audi's strengths are in comparison to the others? Um, we're... We're cautiously optimistic about the strength of this arrow. This arrow has proven to be very, very good in testing. And uh, it, uh, you know, very often our cars are very, very consistent and so forth, but may not be the quickest um, in qualifying trim and so forth. But we're quite happy with the, with the low drag. And, uh, and uh, the car has good balance in it. And it has good balance over a variety of conditions, which is nice. Now, away from your duties in this uh, fabulous race, um, is it true you might be preparing a car for the Friday demonstration runs and the Saturday uh, classics race? I haven't been a part of that, but believe me, I'll be watching it closely. <laughs> There's some of my favorite stuff in there, in particular an R8. Not yours, then? No, not one of mine, but uh, I'd be happy to claim it. Um, we, ch- we were chatting uh, in the booth uh, about the, the new rules this year within uh, you know, safety, sp- slow zones, safety car, virtual safety car. How much work has been done you know, by you guys in the Audi sort of uh, tactical crew to work out how you react to each of those circumstances? Well, there's been a lot, of course. We have, uh, that's one of the places that Audi has really advanced the, uh, you know, the intellectual property of the way the team operates. You know, we have the performance engineering department now and the systems department. And we have a lot more people that have had the opportunity to look at this and, you know, how these uh, how these things factor into the way we run the race. And so I believe we have a pretty good handle on it. And uh, I'm sure we're going to be, the engineers are going to be getting some very, very good advice from behind the wall on that. Do you, of the choices, do you sort of fear the virtual safety car or do you fear the, fear the, the, the old-fashioned uh, uh, three safety cars? What, what, what would you rather see happen? I think a lot of us who are more conventional, I usually default to more conventional means. Um, I think that the, the three safety cars has always been a reasonable way to handle it. Um, it does give a little bit of wild card in the race. If you have a yellow uh, and you have a, something on the car that you need to attend to, um, I think it gives a, a team that's well prepared for that an opportunity to, uh, to make a better, uh, better race out of it. Because, you know, as you know, with the three safety cars, if you come off, you have to wait for the next segment. And if you have a short repair to make or a piece of bodywork to change or something to fix that would make your race better, you have the opportunity to deal with that at that point. And I think that that's something that a lot of really good teams in the past have taken advantage of. Do you believe that advantage under those, those traditional yellows came from, of course, the, the champion team and so much racing by Audi in America, where, of course, the, the yellow flag is much bigger part than it is in Europe? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we got a lot more experience with yellows because we see a lot more of them for whatever reason than we have in Europe. But, uh, you know, here it's the, the three safety cars, the only real way to handle a circuit this large. I remember one year, I don't recall the year, but we only had two. And uh, that, was, uh, that wasn't enough. And uh, people could take too much advantage of it. But with the three, it seems to work out pretty well. So, Brad, what are the, uh, the plans for this first four-hour session coming up for the boys? Uh, just familiarization. You know, we'll try to get a read on our aero stuff. Um, just really, that's it. Um, just to get the guys settled in and get everybody, uh, you know, clicking along together. And uh, 
you know, we've got some plans, you know, fairly big plans for tomorrow and so forth. But, uh, you know, we just want to get through tonight clean, get, get, get some good information. We have a lot of work to do overnight. There's always a, a fairly large uh, work list for tonight to be ready for tomorrow night's qualifying. So we just want to get through it clean, get all of our data sets in order. And, and yeah, that's really it. So go on, Brad, tell us, what, what are the sims telling you? What, what's, our, what's our pole position going to be, be in a nice bit of thick air and uh, super softs, good tyres? What are we looking at? We're we looking at the fastest ever with the new this circuit configuration? I don't know. I think it would be pretty close. I mean, obviously, in the pre-test, we had some pretty, pretty fast times. And I think with the teams really... 14, 15? No, I don't think it will go that fast. Really? No, I don't really want to say. I, I, <laughs> I, sh- I shouldn't. But, uh, but we're going to be very close. We're going to be very close. Very exciting. Thank you, Brad. Yes, thank you. Always a pleasure to hear Brad Kettler on the radio, Mobile One 91.2 FM. Uh, it's midweek motorsport. I think that's an exclusive. It's the first time we've heard that the R8 will be part of that heritage, which also includes... It's, well, it's the first time we've heard confirmation that an R8 will be one of the cars. We know the Toyota GT1 will be running. I My favourite ever, ever, with, ever with, Le Mans car. With Ukiya Katayama at the wheel. Respect. And also that uh, Mark Blundell will be uh, leaving himself into the 1990 pole sitting uh, Nissan. He still fits in his old overalls, he tells me. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. Johnny Herbert did when he drove the Mazda. I'm sure he fits in Mark Blundell's overalls. (laughs) (laughs) He he still fits into the 91 overalls that uh, that he won in with uh, Volker Wiedler. And all of a sudden, I've forgotten the Bert Roncaccio, wasn't it? It was Bert Roncaccio. Who won in 91. I wasn't here, of course, so it never happened. Uh, The... They are there. What do we think? So that's Nissan, Toyota. What do we think we're going to get from Porsche then? Oh, it's got to be a 962, and it's got to. I mean, it's, it's, and we know Derek Bell's here uh, because the, there's there's stuff going on at the moment. Um, I think it's tomorrow. He's got uh, a gig down um, with the Mirage GR8, hasn't he? Yes, absolutely. And while we're talking about things coming up this afternoon, if you're here on the circuit, public service announcement for you: the Audi fan area. Tom Christensen will be talking about his. Uh, his book, which is called, uh, rather um, originally, The Book. How did he come up with that? I don't know. He's a genius. He is. Why didn't anybody think that before? Hmm? Autograph session and more with Tom Christensen at the Audi fan area, which I believe is up towards the Dunlop Bridge, isn't it? That's where it was last year when I was working up there. So that's 3 o'clock local time this afternoon. So just at the end of this show, you can start wandering up there now, I would think. I expect there will be a big crowd. Spoke to the Danish press earlier in the week, in fact on Sunday uh, and uh, thank you for all the kind words that we've already had from the Scandinavian countries and uh, obviously TK is a big miss but with uh, Jan Magnussen and one or two others coming through as well, we've got the Dane train Marcus Sorensen, yeah. absolutely, David Hammer Hansen poster boy for um, gentleman drivers absolutely, well you know Christopher Nygaard and uh, Nicky Team in particular I think uh, coming through as a, a you know a star not just in the making but in reality mm, he's absolutely. already a, uh, you know, a GTM world champion and, 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 and I wouldn't I would hate to think of this place without the large Danish contingent because they add something very special uh, indeed and it's a big part of uh, of our lives here. Uh, let's uh, let's continue then with midweek motorsport. We've got about half an hour uh, left to go. Talking points, then, gentlemen. Undoubtedly, and I'll bring the, the Nismo Pitlane team in on this as well. The front of the field, obviously, is where all of the major interest is going to be. So, Nick Damon, Joe Bradley, Joe, you were at Test Day, which was rather spoiled by the weather. Graham and I have seen the early running of the WEC. But 
who looks, Joe, in your opinion, to be more confident? I know that doesn't necessarily mean anything at this stage because Le Mans is a very hard mistress. But I, I know who I think looks confident at the moment. Who do you think looks like they've got their sums right? I think the confidence race, uh, in, in confidence terms, Audi and Porsche. Uh, don't forget, we were at Silverstone as well, John, and, mm. uh, and watch you guys on TV at Spa. And I think this race is perhaps going to... Can you, can you imagine it? You know how exciting those two six-hour races were. We're gonna, I think we're going to have a 24-hour race that's going to be very similar to Silverstone and Spa between Audi and Porsche. I think, though, and I'm going to I'm going to stick uh, show my cards right now before any kind of track running takes place, uh, I'm going to go with an Audi. I think Audi number seven. I've said that in the previews with Travel Destinations and Graham and I did those before uh, we came out here. And Nick Damon, I mean, if, if that is the head of the confidence field, then Toyota look like someone have stolen their teddy bear, don't they? Um, no. Oh. I think Toyota know exactly where they are. It's just not where they'd like to be. Ah. There's no lack of confidence. In fact, probably they've got the car that's the most reliable package. It's it's so similar to last year. Um, you know, they, they have a very... You know, they've, they've gone fast by two and a half seconds. It's not enough. Everyone else has gone fast by four, five, six. And uh, they've been caught out by the dramatic advancements by both Audi not, more surprising by Audi, it's completely unsurprising by Porsche in their second year. They've, they've gone away and done a Porsche, worked everything was wrong, and, you know, and, and maximised everything. But I think what we're going to see, and I, and I, and I feel this, and I, I, anyway, I think we're, we're going to do a, a, an item about hybridisation next couple of days with Sam, is I think this is where the hybridisation is going to pay off. Not in the six-hour races, but in this, the 24-hour race. Because the fact is, we do know already that Porsche are fastest over a lap, because they can harvest and unleash the full theoretical eight megajoules in that one lap and they all those two laps no problem at all the more you charge and discharge the more heat you generate and of course the, you eventually get a, a lessening of returns after a few hours because the batteries just can't do it anymore hence the reason why in the races they're not quite as quick i feel my feeling very much is that the performance drop off that porsche will feel or the performance turn down they'll have to do to run a 24-hour program will be more significant than the other two teams using a different hybridization um, so I think what you may see is at the start of the race, the cars moving apart from each other and giving reliability towards the end of the race, moving back towards again. Yeah, that's a fair point. In a kind of elastication point. But my feeling is, and I think, you, I think you kind of sit there, and I've been on these pit lanes now, this is my ninth time, and I've only seen one person, one time in the Audi get beaten, and I don't think this is the second time. The other thing to throw in is the massive change in fortune for Audi with its aerodynamic package. Now, the standard car was better. The low drag car, the Le Mans spec car, is better still. Yep. It, it was remarkable at Spa. And interestingly, it certainly mitigated the advantage that Porsche had in a straight line, but it didn't seem to lose that much on the twisties. One of the low drag cars had the quickest middle sector, Graham, and that's where we would normally expect to see the higher downforce cars win. So have Audi done it again a few years ago with the the FSI engine, Ulrich Beretsky and his team, turned out more power, less fuel and more reliability, that, that virtuous triangle that you could never get. Have they done it here with the speed, the drag, and still the right amount of downforce in terms of the aero package? 
Uh, yes, they have. Um, I think without a shadow of a doubt that that is one extraordinary motor car. It really is. Um, I think the other factor, though, we, we've got to kind of talk about here is one that I don't think any of the teams have experienced with these cars at this point in the development, and that's weather. And what did we see a couple of times in recent history, guys, uh, here at the Le Mans 24 Hours, is the fastest car, which at that stage was the Peugeot, being beaten up by an Audi that was leagues slower. Now, it really, if we do get the rain overnight that we, I think we're expecting uh, during the Le Mans 24 Hours, that could have a fundamental effect. And at the end of the race. Absolutely, uh, on what we well. actually see. So, Here's my addition to that as well, though. Audi, for the first part of their time here at Le Mans. Um, take away the first couple of years, but they were on the podium in those years, but then all of a sudden they became hot favourites and hotter favourites and white hot favourites. For the more recent past, they've not been the no. guys that have had the big target on them. But they are again this year, and how are they well, going to handle that, Graham? Well, let's talk about Toyota for a moment, because they've been ignored in this for the moment. What, what have we I don't got? think that's a bad thing for no, them. No. What, is it, what have we got at the moment? Porsche clearly have got the fastest car of a single lap. If there's not a Porsche on pole, in, if it, we can get some dry conditions, I think everybody will be very surprised indeed. Uh, Audi, I think, have got the better race car, without a shadow of a doubt, in terms of the reliability of the car, in terms of its breadth of, of, uh, of abilities. Toyota, though, are certainly the team of the three that's taken the smallest step, and that may not be a bad thing over 24 hours. Uh, one of the interesting kind of comments I got from one of the guys at... Um, at Scrutineering with Alex Verts, and he said, with the exception of that first race, uh, the Toyota came and started their WEC campaign in the development year. This is the first time he's been at Le Mans without a car that is recognisably the fastest, and actually, he thinks that may not be the worst thing in the world. Well, because you have a different strategy. You have a different strategy. They've got to run their own race, and even then, even in 2012, look what happened. Yeah. They didn't have the fastest car, but the race came back to them, mm -hmm. and that's one of the great things about 24-hour racing at this kind of level is, is that you might think you can see where the rhythm's going in the first two or three hours, but you're quite often wrong. Well, I predict Porsche and Audi duking it out of the front of the field, at least one Porsche and one Audi at the front of the field. The problem I think Porsche's got is the Audi that's likely to do that is the Audi that is the strongest, which is the seven car, which I still think will will win. Um, just a thought from Nick and, and Joe down in the pit lane. Obviously, we're not going to ignore Toyota because, as, as Graham says, they are right there. But the the, the internecine rivalry, Nick, between the two VAG brands, Porsche and Audi, uh, can't be underestimated. Uh, there are people who say, quite seriously, the only reason that Porsche are back is because Audi have begun to challenge that 16 overall victories. And it's bad enough anybody doing it, but someone from within the same group is absolutely unthinkable uh, down at Visac. Oh, yeah, I mean, there is a... Uh, a never-ending amount of rows. You only have to see what happened earlier this year with uh, Ferdinand Pich and the Volkswagen Group there. The, you know, the German uh, boardroom and uh, political struggles were a match for any, episode of, uh, any yeah. episode of Dallas. It really is, you know. And they, they, they're, often, they're often run by families or by uh, local uh, Bavarian states, which is never a good idea. And it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a very intense rivalry. You know, if you, if you start getting the rivalry between people like BMW and Porsche, and that, you know, whether that's going to happen or not, I don't know, it gets even worse, you know. Um, no, I mean, I think, I think in, in, in a, I'm pretty certain that, you know, off the record, I'm sure if, if they can't win, they'd rather that the, uh, one of the Japanese manufacturers won. Mm. Indeed. Indeed. And going back to where we started this hour about speed restrictions, uh, Joe Bradley, 
uh, down there in the pit lane. Nobody's thinking about that right now. And indeed, the way the regulations are written, um, it's unless it's done directly after Le Mans mid-season, which I'm assured won't happen, the effect of equalisation of technologies at least can't be touched till after Le Mans next year so it would need a major change in the regulations between seasons that would slow these these cars down so effectively we're seeing come and watch them while we can it's what we it's what we spoke about at the test when uh, Grim did a very uh, interesting calculation in comparison to the 2014 test and came up with the conclusion that we could get towards the edges of, a, of an outright lap record and then that led to us uh, speculating about hmm just what are the ACO going to do if we do get towards those speeds we're not going to put chicanes in on this glorious racetrack we are going to stifle the cars and I think if we do see anywhere getting anywhere near the fringes of that outright lap record I think that we will see things like air restrictors or the like or maybe restrictions on hybrid and I think we will it will be done in a kind of a drastic way uh, before next year's race because we do not want to see these cars getting towards a three minute ten uh, I, th I think that I will do. be yeah I we really all yeah we, ca we kind of all do but then you know wh where does it lead to because they, we've got some these guys at the, at the front end of innovative technology and innovative engineering and if we stay look where they've gotten to already with these regulations yeah and isn't it fantastic how we see four different interpretations of the same regulations from the four manufacturers no the, the easiest and way sorry joe but the easiest way of slowing the cars down at minimal cost and what they'll go to is tire regs and, well, they yeah, will, yeah. and they will mandate. Uh, it's uh, interesting you say uh, that. Yeah, they'll take away qualifying tires. And they will mandate a maximum number of sets. You've got to run them longer. They have to be harder, and that's the cheapest and quickest way of doing it. Uh, it's interesting you say that because it's corner speeds that, that is the worry. Yeah. Um, the that's other the thing simple. we should tires mention would be the simplest way, as Nick says, John. Yes, but the problem is that we have in the World Endurance Championship two very distinct types of motor racing circuits. We have the Class 1, Formula 1 circuits all around the world that we race on for six hours, and then we have Le Mans. And there are two separate arguments there, because I don't think there's any issue with the speeds that the cars are going on on the three-mile circuits. No. None at maybe, all. Maybe we just go to a, a Le Mans-specific tyre. That's doable, and I think that would be more acceptable to some of the manufacturers than anything else i think the other thing is the energy will be reduced the overall energy will be reduced it might be balanced and, and here's me just throwing this out there i have no no way and i know marshall pruitt on racer.com has been writing some bits and pieces about this today but i i haven't had time to read that yet mp sorry but it could well be that the internal combustion engine component of the car becomes less and less important and the fuel flow on that is strangled so much and the fuel uses is strangled so much that you are forced to develop a better hybrid system. The worry there, Graham, would be cost. Well, there's two things I worry about. I mean, first thing, before we get into that, anybody that's listening out there with a sense of foreboding about the kind of dead hand of regulation here, let's just be content for the moment the fact that everybody involved in this process so far has got it right. Correct. And two, I think we need to add into this that I don't know a single one of those people that isn't an absolutely massive enthusiast. So they are looking for the same things here 
generally speaking, as we're looking for from these cars, that these are fast and efficient, that they provide good racing. But that's the point. It is that knife edge that we may be on at the moment. We know, don't we, these cars produce their performance broadly similar lap times. Very different ways. In very different ways. And if you alter one part of that package, you might tip the balance. Spoil the balance. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, that's, that, I think, is the key point that they're going to be grappling with. Uh, let's move away from the front of the field. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. We've got just under 20 minutes to go. Uh, on Series 10, Episode 24, we are at Le Mans at the moment, of course. Mobile One, 91.2 FM from the circuit. And our Mobile One broadcast bureau, just to the left, is a very white, very, at the moment, unmarked building. It, which, by the it way, wasn't unmarked uh, the test day. No. Or at least part of the test day. Uh, it, it will have blue ovals on it, it by the way. blue oval on Yes. It. Now, that, that isn't because we're going to see a P1 from, or a P2 from, from Ford any time soon. No. I'm saying that expectantly. No, we're not. All right. So the the announcement of the weekend is definitely going to be for a GTE car. We expect Ganassi to be looking after the IMSA side of it, Multimatic, uh, and Ganassi perhaps to be looking after the WEC side of it. If the rumours round the paddock is be, to be believed, and we said this on Midweek Motorsport uh, last week, and it's not uh, something we're going to delve into, but if the rumours are to be believed, it is an all-star driving team that has been assembled from every part of motor racing, and indeed from some places that uh, might not be the places that you would guess in the current GT party. There was a bit of a scare a little earlier, a bit of a fright for us all in the media room earlier, John, uh, when one of the, the guys was actually down at the pavilion, we can see to the left of the studio here, and the thought was at that stage that the much uh, kind of predicted four GT efforts uh, might have been a miss, uh, just just a bit of a, a of kind of a, a wrong turning for everybody, that actually it could have been the new Ford Transit, but it turned out they were just delivering the pies. Nah, so that's that, okay, that, okay. That, that's, that's all good news. The, the serious part of this, gentlemen, and uh, for us involved in IMSA Radio, of course, here on Radio Show Limited, our sister service in the States, it's great news to hear that, uh, that Ford will be competing in uh, IMSA, at least some of the IMSA races next year. But what kind of pressure does this put on the other manufacturers? This is a bespoke car, obviously built for GTE regulations, on a car that has been designed, from what we've heard from the guys at Dearborn, just outside of Michigan, uh, designed specifically with racing in mind. So this is it's not as if someone has taken a Ford Focus and decided to make it into a race car. They've designed a race car and made it a road car. They've done it almost in the, the opposite way around. Now, GT regulations allow that to happen, so long as you build a certain amount uh, and get them out there uh, on the street as well we've already nick damon got fantastic gte competition this year to the point where depending on conditions porsche ferrari or aston martin could My could eyes. win the could win the race um yeah i think it's a uh, an interesting one over 24 hours i always tend to uh into favor the ferraris actually because it, it seems that aston struggle in the gtes to get these cars certainly in the pro class to run a full 24 hour uh run without a problem and I think it's uh, my feeling is it's more than likely that uh, the Ferraris will pick it up with one of the two works cars um, Amateur for some reason is completely different but yeah I mean, it's, a, it's a great class, it's a great race and obviously it's much better when we get here because we have got the Corvettes so having the Corvettes and a Ford and a Viper is going to make it almost de rigor for every American to come over here uh, and, and that's very interesting uh, because the big three are then represented 
Graham. Does uh, uh, you know the the interesting thing for me is how seriously it sounds like Ford are taking their worldwide effort with this and not just going to be concentrating on the IMSA, the, the national series, in their home territory. Uh, no, I think we're looking at uh, Ford um, trying to hand out a global bottom whopping, as I believe mm. our American cousins yeah. nearly call it. Uh, I think what they're looking to do is to launch, in effect, a, you know, a world halo car. Uh, with the Ford you hear that? Yeah. I've just opened that can of whoop Is that a can of whoop yeah. Fantastic. And they're going to get all medieval on their on, on their bottoms. Yes, they right? are. Mm. But it's it's you know it's it's great that it's coming. For my money, John, you're absolutely right. It's it's been great competition in GTE. And you know by the time it comes to I think it's 17, isn't it, for the GTE regs mm. uh, will actually come through. That potentially what we've got here is another major factory added. And mm. uh, beyond that, others potentially to come because it has needed for a little while, I think, with, with Viper going away as a factory effort. It's needed, I think, a little bit of new blood in GTE. Ford looked like providing that in the short term. I think in the medium term, we're going to see others coming. And then we start to see whether or not, uh, another debate that we've had on Midweek Motorsport before, John, whether or not GTLM in, uh, in Tusk becomes any more sustainable than it currently is. Uh, discount Corvette at your peril, says uh, Jim Roller, having spoken oh, to. Uh, where can I get this discount Corvette? Discount how, Corvette. How, yes. And how much is discounted? No, I need off. more than that. I need at least thirty percent off. Sebastian Tenkat says, "Is the Ford route from race car to road car really that different from Ferrari, Aston, and Porsche?" Well, from Ferrari, yes, because the the 458 really was very much a road car. It's developed a lot uh, down the years. Interesting to see the route that. Porsche and Aston have gone, and, and the, the route particularly that Aston will be going for next year's car, which is already showing tremendous gains in efficiencies of aero and engine, in a car that looks markedly more like a street car than a race car. Um, in, in a 180 degree turn, Graham, from, say, the GT3 regulations, where everything is becoming more Gran Turismo, uh, and we look at something like the Audi R8, with, which looks like something out of the Group 5 regulations, for those of you old enough to remember them, if not, go and look them up. It, it looks to me as though in GTE, the manufacturers have kind of either got together or just come to the conclusion that making the cars look more like a street car, all right, with a bit of spoiler in that, but more like a street car is the better way to race the things they sell on the streets. Well, we move to that. I mean, just, uh, just a quick note, going back to the safety car uh, debate, so that uh, sadly, because Eduardo Freitas uh, probably won't be looking to use a safety car unless it can possibly help, it means the fans here will get less of a chance to see the absolutely gorgeous new R8 that uh, mm. is part of the fleet here now. Uh, but I think it possibly does need to move a little in that direction. I, I love to see these you know, GT monsters with the big wings and the, you know, and the, and the flamboyant aero, but... I guess one of the problems between GT3 and GTE is that they do look pretty similar to the untrained eye, don't they? That if you actually look, uh, with that, other than the size of the rear wing between GT3, which is usually comprehensively larger, mm. if you put a GTE and a GT3 car next to each other, the untrained eye will not see a great deal of difference. So maybe that's what they're looking for. Maybe they're looking for something that actually shows that these things can be still based on the same kind of platform, but, mm. but fundamentally different. 
All right, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 10, episode 24. Stay with us. We've got 10 minutes left. The news that no one is talking about. The stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. Yeah, yeah, usual feature. This is our usual feature. It is the one. Finally turned up. Well, we had some news as well, Nick, in fairness. This has been... uh, Tim, obviously, not with us... uh, uh, this uh, event, so um, he, we, he has forwarded this through to me, and uh, um, more improvement for Pidgeley at challenging Ulton Park. Right. Mm. Who's Pidgeley? Ollie Pidgeley ah. continued his impressive rate of improvement during the latest three rounds of the MSA Formula season at Ulton Park, Island, Cherkin and Cheshire over the weekend. 6th and 7th of June to chalk up three more points finished for the Richardson Racing Team. That's all one sentence for a Ooh, start. Well done, Ollie. Um, OK, give me some context, John. Although not able to max, match his season best result of 14th position <laughs> during Sorry. rounds 10, 11 and 12. Excellent. The progress made by the 17-year-old in terms of pace, tyre management and overall race craft at the wheel of his A4 Eco boost-powered single-seater left him satisfied with his performances. <gasps> And yeah, there was literally no punctuation Hang there. on. So he he was 14th? No, so far he's been 14th, and he wasn't able to match that season best result. So, so before we get it further, we have two paragraphs into a press release. We don't actually know what he did. No, exactly. Oh, well, tell me, tell me, John. Overall, it's been a good weekend, said Ollie, in FP1. We missed out on FP1, by the way. Yep. Uh, by the way, this is two... Two, three, three full pages, pages long. In fact, I, I uh, believe his PR has been paid by the word. Uh, overall, it's been a good weekend, said Ollie in FP1. We missed out on some decent track time, which was a shame. Every lap I get in the car is vital, but my performance in qualifying was the best so far, and the races were good. It might not look anything special on times, but in terms of my own performance, with using the tyres and putting it all together, it was a big improvement. Still three paragraphs in, and still we don't know how he did. Down- I'm guessing poorly, but carry on. Downton-based Ollie began round 10 on Saturday afternoon from 17th position on the grid, and after well a good done, start, Ollie. he put together a strong and competitive opening lap, moving into 16th place oh. and running behind multiple race winner Sandy Mitchell. No, Bre- not the Sandy Mitchell. Yeah, no, I mean, that's fantastic. Mm. Breaking into the top 15 on lap two, first-year open-wheel driver was then shuffled back to 16th place before <laughs> racing fell under safety condition, uh, conditions on lap four. At the restart on lap seven, Ollie had 16th place safely but slipped to 17th after attack by Darius Carbully. Hang on, wait, wait, stop, stop. he had 16th place safely and then lost it. Yeah. And so it wasn't he was safe just, then, was it? He he took the chequered flag on lap 13, just three seconds shy of the top 15. Well, that's a performance. And then there up. are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and more. And so he got a. So what did he get? He got a 15th, a 18th, and I don't know what he did in in three because it's off the end of the printer. The second page. And how many people enter this event? I don't know. And how much money is he spending to be absolutely terrible? I know very little about MSA Formula, other than it's a, another great way of relieving dad's money. But it must it must be a support for the touring cars, I take it. Even better way of relieving dad's money. First rung of the ladder. It's the first rung of the ladder, says Bradley. Yeah, there appears to be a hole in his run. Yes. It's the first broken rung of the ladder for young Ollie, who I'm sure is a lovely lad. But um, apart from me, I, I was hoping that was going to go the way of a Patrick Heisman uh, press release, where they qualified ninth despite problems, but, you know, difficult problems and then still did quite well. But I think if you... Do you not think that you're doing that badly? Just keep quiet. His PR's doing a better job than he is. <laughs> he's not. 
His PR deserves no, to be in Formula One with no, that. No, his PR's run away himself and forgotten the punctuation. Ollie's oh, forget that. Ollie's obviously forgotten how to drive. It's the first rung of the ladder, though. Of PR. For, for PR as well. I see. So, Probably you know, not, actually. His performance is better than his on-track So do you think that Ollie should write a, should write a press release for his PR? No, Dave, uh, yes, Davidson yeah. Associates were very proud with their first three pages of press release for Ollie, Boone, <laughs> Ollie whatever three, his name was. Three pages out of nothing. More, in, more improvement for Pidgeley's PR at it. challenging Alton Park. Yeah, Heading towards <laughs> Croft, the comma and the semicolon have been discovered on the keyboard <laughs> and will be used in the next press release. Despite a, ba- <laughs> despite a bad start lacking punctuation in the first two sessions, by the end, of, by the middle of the press release, we were confidently using several different letters. Also, we have referred to our thesaurus and found several new words for the where we want to use the word rubbish. Hmm. Uh, there's a salutary tale there for everyone involved uh, in the business. Don't forget, if you're here at the circuit listening to Mobile One Radio Le Mans on 91.2 FM, uh, you should be heading up towards the Audi fan area now, which is up by the Dunlop Bridge on the inside, driver's right of the circuit. Tom Christensen presenting his new book. There's an autograph session the and book. more. And his new book is called... The Book. The Book. The Book. Is that the book he's is been reading on the rocks in that WC uh, video? For it was what he was time. writing, yeah, yeah, I think so. He was looking is for inspiration. There, is there an English copy? Yes, I think so, yeah. Oh, that's another one. Das for book. <laughs> yes, Das book. Uh, thank you very much, too. Uh, actually, you know, I've got a couple of minutes yet before Sunk we go. without trace, that did. Yes, very good. Uh, so that's three o'clock at the Audi fan area, up at the top of the village, on the inside of the circuit. Driver's right, uh, just up towards the Dunlop Bridge area. Tom Christensen and the book, autograph session from Tom Keir as well. Still slightly drizzling, is, I think, out is, there at the I'm moment. Just wondering, is, is the book The Rock's More Intelligent Cut Brother? Very good. <laughs> Very good. Uh, final words from the guys down in the pit lane. Anybody struggling down there at the moment? That we're already, they'll be back from lunch. Where? And it's it does. Just wet. you guys. It's with soggy feet. It's wet. It's very wet. I, I tell you what. The, so it's the, not just drizzling? No, no, it's proper wet. It's proper wetness. And... I think this whole pit lane is a little bit, no, not a little bit, a lot of disappointment along this pit lane because this is not what they wanted to see. They wanted some kind of dry dry running. They're not going to get that initially. Mm. Just had a tweet in from Sam Brabham. Hello, Sam. At Sam Brabs, he is. He said, I'm in bits and pieces over the press release. (laughs) Never get that from Sam. You'd never get that well, he won't be coming 15th for starters. Well, no, there is that. But even if he had been, he wouldn't have been uh, getting he that. He certainly would have been telling us about it if he had. David Brabham here this weekend with some news on Project Brabham, Ooh. and he'll be part of our team over the Ooh. weekend as well, dropping into the Mobile One broadcast centre. Am I drop then? What? Am I drop? I might have to elbow you out. Oh, we are, oh, no. We have a stream of celebrity guests to come in. Not me. Sounds unpleasant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you rub cream on it, it'll go away. Uh, uh, final words uh, from the pit lane then. It's still wet. Yes. The safety cars have been out uh, doing a close clearance lap, but are. Uh, back in gentlemen thank you very much indeed for your hard work thank you very much don't forget studio vision in half now always a pleasure uh, that's a very good point yes coming up next then we go inside mobile one with bruce crawley and myself talking synthetic oil we weren't sure that that would work last year but you guys liked it so we've gone back and delved deeper into why mobile one is the most popular synthetic oil in the world and why three major teams are using it here at Le Mans. Specifics to Le Mans coming up. Maybe a couple of trade secrets as well, but shh, don't say too much about it. And uh, our the good news for those that have been asking is that our 
Studio Vision is back this year. Uh, and uh, thank you very much indeed to Duke Video. Uh, it is our Mobile One Studio Vision powered by Duke Video this year. Uh, we always like to leave you with the full detail. Uh, I've just checked the results pages on the uh, MSA Formula. It is a 16th and 217th out of 22 Carfield. Right, thank you. Uh, so we got the uh, we got the full details there for young Ollie Pidgeley, uh, Ollie R- Pidgeley Racing Press Office. Uh, there we are. And I've just seen who that's come from now, and he knows better, he knows better. than that. We'll be getting something nasty in the post for him. Uh, thank you very much to our responsible adult, Eve Hewitt, and happy anniversary, my darling. Uh, and also to Becky, back in London, who's been getting us to the world. Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com, was with me, along with uh, Joe Bradley and Nick Damon. Uh, there's no time to explain. The Llama is talking synthetics. Next. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.